Hello and welcome to the Y Debate, uh, where myself, Mike Martin, and my colleague Callum Roy shamelessly educate ourselves every single week reading different books and looking into different concepts that we feel have changed the world. How are you doing, Callum? Yeah, yeah I'm doing great, thank you. Um, pretty good. We uh, had an interesting week reading this one. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so this week... We'll kick it straight off. This week we were reading uh, Zero to One. Well, <laughs> I was reading Zero to One by Peter Thiel, whereas, uh, Mike, what were you reading this week? Yeah, so I stupidly got the wrong book, and yesterday <laughs> I went to Callum and said, how are you getting on with the book this week? Have you nearly finished it? I'm on chapter 18, so I was like closing in on the finish, and he's like, uh, anyway, we started talking a little bit about the book. It turns out I was reading The One Thing, okay? <laughs> Not Zero <laughs> to One. <laughs> no, so, so, so I completely cocked up this week, and I've had to read the, the book after finishing here at half past nine last night had to read the book overnight so if i look tired um it's my own stupid fault for cocking this up before <laughs> we do get started just one quick thing how cool was that that's so cool i love it um it the ninja week yeah love it um yeah so that was uh how long did it take you to to read it last night I just speed read it through the whole thing. So, and, and do you know what? My notes are actually better this week than normal. And I think it's because I read it last minute. It's like when you cram for an exam. People are like, oh, you shouldn't yeah. cram. You should think it. Bullshit, you shouldn't cram. If you cram, you get it in. So I actually feel like I've probably got more of No, maybe not. Let's see. It was, Let's it not was get too excited. <laughs> I, I had meetings till, till, till half seven last night. And the meeting that I did at half seven lasted till half past nine. So I ended up getting home super knackered, not not even eating proper all day. And then I, I get in the house and it's like, shit, and I've got to start on this book. Um, but yeah, that's I great. Yeah. So yeah, Zero cool. to I... One by Peter Thiel. Is, that was yeah. Name? yeah, that's how you say his name. I The whole week I was like, is it Thiel or Thiel? And then uh, this morning I was like, you know what? I need to know for sure. So I Googled it and it's Thiel. I would have been wrong no matter what I did. So uh, I'm glad I looked it up. Otherwise, uh, I would have humiliated myself there. Anybody um, who doesn't know him, he's got a brilliant history. He was actually one of the PayPal founders. There was about five of them. Uh, and they sold out in sometime in the 90s, maybe the early 2000s, to eBay for $1.5 And every single person involved in, this, in, in, in PayPal, every single person that was involved, including Elon Musk, um, have all gone on to create businesses that do over a billion dollars a year. Yeah, so crazy. They know the shit. They really yeah. do. Yeah, it seems uh, like they've kind of cracked the code to this kind of thing. Because uh, there's one, I mean, you, you could say some people get lucky by creating, I know you kind of make your own luck, don't you? But you could say some people get lucky by creating like a uh, a business in a, in a niche that just ends up getting really, really popular. And it's like, oh, wow, I had no idea we were ever going to get this big. I'd never planned for it. And then suddenly it just takes off and it gets bought out by someone. But um, these guys have been able to replicate it over again so that's why i think that wisdom is worth more perhaps than people that have only been able to do it one time some of the notes i've put in here at the end are notes from the book which i feel are super powerful and anybody setting up a new business these notes will really really help them because there's like four fundamentals they state about when you're setting up a new product and 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 and, and before we we go on basically so what this is about is moving from zero to one there's two different types of um of like movement so so the the, the two different types of movement 
Uh, one of them is moving. So if you move into an industry, that, a market that already exists, copy what other people are doing, try and take a chunk of the market, you kind of copy him. He, he refers to that as one to N in the book. And what it means is you go in, you, you're doing this uh is that horizontal horizontal yeah yeah it's horizontal you progress you, you spread spreading horizontal so you're not really adding anything to society you're not bringing anything extra you know and then he says so basically for those who have great ideas those who come in and build something that doesn't already exist kind of create a new opportunity for an existing market instead of just going in of more of the same um a great example is how russell brunson pr- marketed um click funnels as a sales funnel rather than marketing it as a web page builder because everyone else already had them. The technology existed, but he did put a different spin on it, which kind of turned it into new technology, which is 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 vertical. Vertical. vertical? Yep. Yes. I, I never know but vertical horizontal. That's vertical progress, and he says that is zero to one. So this is all about for it's an entrepreneurial style book. Hence why they they created PayPal. Hence why uh, Elon Musk created SpaceX. Hence why this guy created some mad digital thing that they use i don't even know what it was called but they used it in do you remember the name of the, of the business he palantir. created palantir that's it yeah i've still not yeah. it up, but apparently yeah. each client is worth millions yeah so I, I saw that it's where him the ceo gets involved himself yeah so, i only remember the name palantir because it's the thing in lord of the rings that uh, uh saruman has you know like the orb that he puts his hands on and he can like see stuff happening he's got the palantir so that's how and I remember. That's kind of what the business does. It's for data and thingy. So he's named yeah. it because it's and brilliant. It says in the book that they, when they all came together, there's five or six of them. I can't remember the names. You know, I'm terrible with names, but the five or six of them were all came together after they. So PayPal and X.com were two separate companies. They met mm-hmm. in the late 90s and said, if we don't start working together, we're both going to end up out of business completely because uh, before the crash yeah. came. So they, they were at war with each other too, like yep. totally they, at war with each other. Yeah, they said, one of them was. He said it in in the meeting. They were talking about making bombs. Yeah, they're trying to kill each other and stuff like that because apparently five people, or five five of the original founders, um, used to try and make bombs when they were. <laughs> it's like what? The, yeah, you are these guys. They were trying. I think they were like trying to sabotage their equipment and stuff. But then they were like, "Wait, we're talking about planting a bomb in another person's like office. This is terrible." Um, but I guess that's kind of what um. We'll talk more about competition later, but I guess that's kind of what um, this kind of uh, this kind of competition and business, especially, can kind of do to you, especially when there's in a period of massive growth, like when PayPal um, and you know Elon Musk and all of that stuff started to shoot to fame. Um, I've actually got a note here written about competition. War is costly because rivalry causes us to overemphasize. Can't even read my own words old opportunities and slavishly copy what has worked in the past so basically if, you, if you're competing against someone else you kind of look at what they're doing it's like shit they're doing this we need to do that and then you're like shit they're doing this we need to do that rather than just thinking you know what i don't care about anyone else i'm just going to do what i do play our play and forget everybody else in it if there's anybody else in the market and- yeah and that's kind of like a counterintuitive point to a lot of people because i think in schools we're taught from quite an early age that you kind of have to copy out of the textbook and you have to, you know, like learn in a very sort of linear way. And then, you know, when you're studying, you study from the book and you've got all the people in your class and they're all doing the same thing. And if you're learning in a different way to them, it just doesn't work because your teacher is like, I, I remember I had a conversation with my friend recently. We had a math teacher and he was, he should have been really, really, uh, he should have been really 
a great teacher, but to a lot of people, he wasn't. To me, he was. I thought he was a fantastic teacher. And the reason why is because he didn't teach us a lot of practical doing all of these equations maths. He talked a lot more about um, sort of like the theories behind it and like the history of it. And he clearly had like a uh, like a more sort of a, a deeper understanding of the subject rather than like a let's make you copy all of these equations. And I love that. But that wasn't what the test was on. So uh, I fell out of love with math really fast. And, um, it, you know, it, it, it worked for yeah, one person, but not another. What, what he's trying to do there is he's getting rid of the parrot fashion learning, which a lot of people learn, but they don't understand. Yes. Um, I'm great at understanding things, concepts and theories and things like that. I'm terrible at remembering any details at all. So if you throw a detail at me, like people's names, like dates and times and things that happen, it's like, I have no fucking idea because I, that doesn't sink in with me. What sinks in is the understanding of the concept, a kind of, and, 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 they, they say, don't you, if you give somebody details, ask them in six months, they'll forget about it. But if you tell them a story, mm -hmm. which which is the history of things and stuff like that, they'll remember it for a lifetime. So I, I guess that's kind of what he was trying to do with you guys. And for the ones who didn't want to actually think outside the box and understand a little bit more, it probably didn't work. But for the ones who maybe did, do you think it stuck or do you think it didn't? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff stuck. But like I said, the problem was that the test wasn't on that kind of stuff. So like, even though I was having a great time, I, I was ending up suffering because my test scores were getting worse, even though I was enjoying math more. It was a real weird, like... Uh, School's designed to teach you to take tests, so it's not designed to give you any knowledge. <clears throat> yeah, and, and yeah, you very rarely have tests um, that just, you know, <laughs> you very rarely have a situation where you're like, I'm going to plan for the next month, and then I'm going to have this, you know, this one day, and if I fuck it up, it's fucked forever. <laughs> and like... It's quite rare that in life you actually have that, I think. But um, so it's yeah, it's not very practical. He he actually talks at the beginning of the book about um, competition in school and how in business all of the competition is like um, real warlike language, like um, like or, like dominating, uh, like real horrible, like uh, sort of like aggressive language they use. But in school they don't use any of it. And if anything, school is just as competitive, if not more competitive, than business. So, yeah, I, 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 it depends. It depends who you're going up against. I mean, these guys who wrote this book was was talking about right building bombs to kill Elon Musk and X dot com. Um, it was kind of that. That was that was a little bit more competitive than I'm gonna cheat on this exam. But I think I think it's the pressure that parents put onto kids to 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 do their exams. And I've, 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 I'm very, la la my missus likes to say to my lad, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do well in school. And he does, he's top of his classes, he's super smart. But he, I, I try and get him doing a lot more. We, I was talking to him this morning about um, about books. He's reading Stillness is the Key at the minute uh, by nice. Ryan Holiday. I mean, this, this, this kid's 11 years old. Um, and, and, and he quotes things to his mother that she doesn't get. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and like I said, he did, he did Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. He went through, he likes the Ryan Holiday books. So he's read The Ego is the Enemy. He's read Obstacle is the Way. He's reading Stillness is the Key now. Uh, and I've got him all sorts of different books um, that he does and, and he reads and he, he understands them. And he comes to me and he asks me questions about them. And sometimes I'm like... Let's think about it because I actually don't know the answer. And I can have a 20 minute conversation with him like he's a 25 year old and he's 11. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that that's just kind of a product of like, obviously, the way that you were conducting your own um, learning experience. Like you 
said it before you've learned you've basically had to teach yourself everything so you're passing on that ability to someone and you're passing it on to someone that isn't skipping school either so like yeah. you're creating some kind of <laughs> some kind of super genius monster it's great hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> yeah hopefully but he doesn't get like me that's a, that's the thing that he i think i think he'll probably he's gonna have to work out where he fits in this whole in the whole world isn't he like at the end of the day and you know that'll probably take time and experimentation but you're giving him a, a like a base of knowledge that you know eventually you don't you don't forget the stuff you learn when you're that age like if, if it's really like powerful meaningful stuff like all these all the things that he's reading are you don't you don't forget that stuff and it just puts like a um you know you end up putting like a little note in it and a pin in it and if you go away from it and you think you've forgotten about it when it comes up later and when you need that in your life you're like ah actually no i remember this and yeah i, I think yeah so this this guy peter teal his business partners created so we created palantir his business partner created created youtube was it um youtube i'm not sure about then YouTube. um elon musk created spacex and all the other stuff and then one of his other business partners created, I don't I don't think it was Twitter, but I think it was like Instagram or one of the other big social networks. So, so they basically all went off and created these, these work and, and they used the four rules that we're going to talk about today. These four rules, they've gone off, they've figured out these four rules and they've said to themselves, if we're going to create anything in a technology space, follow these four specific fundamentals and you will always succeed. And I think that's kind of what they did. And because it's what they did, they've kind of, They've all been successful. Every single one of them has been super successful with it. Yeah. Which is, these rules must be legit, man. Yeah, because right, be... it's quite rare to have that amount of people. You know, you'd think that there'd be some people that would like hang us on or like <laughs> go It doesn't matter drugs. if you're lazy. It doesn't matter if you work the hardest. It doesn't matter if you think it. If you follow these four rules from what I've seen, I don't know how, how motivated all these guys were, but you'd think if you get five people, two might not be motivated. Mm. Um, Usually. Can you hear the seagulls kicking off outside? Yes, I can. That's the perks of living by the coast. If you don't live anywhere, if you're watching this and you don't live anywhere near seagulls, those things are fucking terrifying. <laughs> I've been... Yeah, they're, they're nasty. They're real nasty. My microphone's supposed to supposed to drown out the noise, but the seagulls today are having like a... I think they're having an orgy or something out there because they're like... <laughs> nice. Seagull orgy. It's a Friday. <laughs> Seagull banging going on like, come on, it's the weekend. Um, <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> we've got to right. make some eggs. <laughs> let's get onto the notes that we've put down. So first note. Yeah, let's go. Let's get away from seagull orgies quick. <laughs> <laughs> the algorithm. Companies like Google, PayPal, and Amazon achieved their success by pioneering innovative solutions, effectively transitioning from non-existence to groundbreaking innovation in, invention sorry now basically what, what what we're talking about here is exactly what the book is about zero to one so basically what all these companies and a lot of people look at this type of shit and they think yeah but i could never create something like that. i could never do something like that. but you can do something like this on a much smaller scale you can do something like this like th there might be businesses that is missing from your hometown there might be businesses that's missing from the the, the the county where you live there might be certain things that you can do because it does mention earlier on that you start in a small niche and then and then what you do is you spread from there so you're not looking to go out and build a google because if you want to build a google it's going to take you 25 years or more or and then your whole life and it might not work whereas if you build something on a small scale target a niche inch wide mile deep niche is what we always say when we're doing a lead generation but um and then start to look to 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 
like fill a gap, fill something that's missing. If you if if you regularly saying to someone, oh, we need this round here, or we need that, or we've not got this, or we've not got something that does that, or why has nobody invented this? Then get off your ass and create it because do you know what? It could make you one of the richest men alive. Yeah. So I think people get like caught by the kind of it's a bit of a trap of like the global we live in a very global world don't we and, and that's a weird statement to make but you know what i mean globalist world where everything is uh we, we the only things we're exposed to like the only big sort of companies are exposed to and the the actors and the music and everything you don't see them when they were on when they were small time you only see them when they're big time because you know we everything's so oversaturated um, and yeah, rising to the top, like a uh, Google, PayPal or Amazon is, you know, that's a roll of the dice, whether you're ever, ever going to get there, but you can definitely, like you said, make some progress, um, locally or whatever. I think people forget people that that's an, even like, an option. Yeah. People like to bitch and moan about it, but not actually do it. I've got a thing on my wall over there, a poster on my wall, and it's not a poster. It's like a, a, a picture, but it says the person on top of the mountain didn't fall there. Um, I have a lot of these inspirational, crazy, daft things flying around my office. I mean, the one in my gym up there says, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And then we've got the other one with... Um, I like got, that one. There's a, there's an iceberg and it shows under the water and, and that's, that's in the gym as well. And on the top, it basically says success. And then all the stuff is like late nights, rejection, hard work, blah, 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 sacrifice and all that shit. That's under the water, the stuff you don't see. And they yeah. kind of a lot of these guys have done this, but if you can start on a smaller scale, the sacrifice is not necessarily as bad because then you grow a team that's going to do the rest for you. Yeah, totally. I mean, and it, it takes a certain type of person, doesn't it, to to um, build a company like that one to build a company like Google or PayPal or Amazon and stay with it, you know, and, and like the the people that have been in charge, they're they're pretty strange characters, a lot of them, like, and yeah. we're. <clears throat> kind of getting to know them a little bit better than we would in the past because of like celebrity culture and stuff. So we've like, we have some really weird, um, yeah, some really weird, uh, like CEOs and stuff buzzing around at the moment. My actual, my next note is actually, uh, eccentric leadership is one of the, I I've noticed that it seems to be quite common in all of these, um, things like the leaders seem to have quite an eccentric personality. Um, I think it comes from, like we said earlier about Palantir, how like they have they do massive sales. And he says in the book, when you're selling that amount of, um, like when you're making a sale that big, the CEO is going to have to be the one selling it, because yeah. people are going to, you know, if you're if you're dealing with millions, people aren't going to be like, oh yeah, I'll speak to the you know the sales advisor, <laughs> like. No, I'm, I want to go straight to the top. This is a lot of money. I don't want to like, you know, um, mess around with this. So I guess that comes from them being like sort of grandmaster salesmen and, and that in itself needs, you need to be quite sort of off the wall to be good at that kind do of you, stuff. I think, do you anyway. think historically, right. I, I imagine people like this. I think they were always a bit awkward and a bit weird, right. And the eccentricities, let's call them eccentricities, then they, they probably hid them in school because of bullying and because of things like that, right? And as you get yeah. older, you start to get into an age where 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 you're like, you don't give a flying fuck what anyone else thinks because it's like, well, they don't matter anymore. They've gone off. And you see these guys that 
were, were proper cool and they're working in, in petrol stations or they're working in McDonald's or they're doing things that you'd think to yourself, I just would never do that no matter what. I'd probably go out and rob a bank instead. Um, and like, I think a lot of these people, that their eccentricities were so held back in school that they weren't so that when they, they do become these successful that their eccentricities are actually more more elaborate and more more pronounced because they have finally found the confidence to just be themselves uh yeah most of them I, I, the geeks sat in a corner doing shit that nobody else are interested in that's what i was gonna say i think the the because tech is mainly what we're talking about when we're talking about these things like the the silicon valley tech um industry like a lot of those guys, if you're into tech, you have to be like really deep into like learning one thing and into code and stuff like that. A lot of these guys are probably they just have autistic traits that they're like they're, they're just kind of autistic people. So they don't really care what other people think, which is an absolute superpower um, when you're in a um, when you're in a role like this because you can't just be like oh my god what's what are people gonna like elon musk can't be like oh what are, you know what when i make that tweet like what are people gonna say people are gonna stop like uh in, investing in me and like he just doesn't care but like, he's, he's no, not doesn't give a shit he's not asked no. it's like fuck them fuck them all yeah it, it's like uh um he says in a he i saw an interview with him and i, I mean i think elon musk is a bit pretty weird character i, I don't listen to uh, a lot of his the stuff that's out about him at the moment but there is something about Elon Musk that we will bring up because it's really funny but the um uh, there was an interview with him and they asked him like oh do you think it's do you care that it's like negative that you say something on Twitter that's really um uh controversial and then you end up losing pe people unsubscribe you lose investment like don't you know do you ever worry about that and he's he says like there's a quote from a movie the princess bride which is a great movie and um he's a character talking to the man who killed his father and uh, he's like begging for his life and he's like offer me money like <laughs> it, it won't matter you know like like offer me everything like offer me the world i'm still gonna like kill you because of the revenge like it does, it, and his point is you know like his point is like so what like if it's worth it it's actually worth losing the money to speak your own mind and to have free speech yeah. is worth losing that so i thought that's quite cool my my mum grew up with nothing absolutely nothing all her life but she didn't care what anyone thought or anyone did and she would be happy to just tell anyone to go fuck themselves and i thought that was her strongest quality to just live true to herself whatever she thought she said whatever pissed her off she told people and whatever it wouldn't matter if it was if if they were a judge. It wouldn't matter if they were a magistrate. It wouldn't matter if they were a, a member of the royal family. If they did something she didn't agree with, she'd have been like, "You're an asshole." Um, and I think that was one of the strongest qualities I, I think I got from her. Whereas I'm very outspoken as to like, I won't let anything eat away at me and stress me out. I'll just say it and then and and let the chips lie where they may. And I think yeah. I think a lot of these people who don't give a shit have got. A great talking about right you were talking about killing right and, and elon musk right so mm -hmm. there's something coming up in a few weeks months i don't know if it's even going to happen but what do you reckon uh, who do you think is going to win right yeah. <laughs> elon musk versus mark zuckerberg in an mma match now mark zuckerberg people who don't know i've got to realize he's been training now uh brazilian jiu-jitsu for the last three years or he's been training in mma for the last three years might be both i think i think it's uh i know yeah, I think it's both, to be honest. It's been like a few years. He's definitely training both. I've seen videos of him like hitting pads with MMA gloves on. So he's definitely been training. And 
he looks like he's in really good shape too so that's like kind of interesting because he was like this weird lizard nerd for like most of <laughs> most of the time he's been in the public eye and everyone was kind of taking the piss and now he's like <laughs> he looks kind of big i don't know if he's on the sort he doesn't look like he's on um steroids either he actually looks uh, naturally if you, if you try your diet out and you eat, eat loads of protein i think most people can get ripped and, and you train like hell yeah i think yeah. he's i think he's doing doing that um but yeah there's been he was training with uh lex friedman i think there was videos of him and lex training which is like lex is a jiu-jitsu black belt and a, a podcaster friends with joe rogan and um i i mean i, I didn't john, see it like, john jones said if 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 they need help give me a shout but he said he, i think john jones thinks zuckerberg's gonna win because he said he said um he, he, I, I remember the clip of him saying, I think I'm, I'm with Zuckerberg. Who do you think is going to win? If they have a fight, you'll win. I mean, look, Zuckerberg got his blue belt the other day. In Brazilian so, Jiu-Jitsu? Yeah, he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu blue I belt I remember, now. I did boxing and kickboxing for years, right? And I remember going to Manchester Ground and Pound the first time I ever went there. And I was about 14 and a half, maybe closing on 15 stone. I was pretty ripped up. Um, I was in good shape and I thought, I can, I can, I can fuck these guys up. And I remember going... Right, and I remember um, we, we we they used to do this thing at the end where everybody so, so you have a stand up fight with everybody for a minute, and there's about eight to twelve people there. So you'd end up doing a minute with everybody, uh, then you'd have a little break, then you do a minute stand up with with fists, elbows, and knees, and and stuff, but no um, no ground fighting, and and obviously I held me held me on held me on, and then uh, the the end of it you do a minute with um with, with full MMA, and I got my ass kicked completely like because i'd always done stand-up fighting and i thought i i thought well i can handle myself i've trained for years i can do and and these guys were like 11 stone skinny little and you'd think you just you just but they just boom take you down take your leg and i spent like two and a half years then completely focused on brazilian jiu-jitsu because all of a sudden there was this vulnerability that opened up in my head that was like holy shit man even these little tiny dudes that you look at and you don't think anything about them if they know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, they can kick the shit out you no matter how good you are at stand-up fighting. So him being a blue belt and, and Elon Musk probably never, ever doing anything to do with fighting in his life. Yeah. It's going to have massive implications. I mean, Elon Musk is definitely going to train for it. I, I don't know who's training Elon Musk, though. Have you seen anything about Elon Musk training? I think, I don't even like, know if he's going to fight. I just think, he who, train with... Win? Pick a winner. I, I'm going with Zuck because I, you know, I do Jiu-Jitsu myself. I'm going with Zach. I Musk has a big weight advantage. I think he's way bigger than than. Yeah, but they'll have to fight within Zuckerberg. a certain certain weight. There's no way Mark Zuckerberg. And if and let's say Elon Musk says right, I'll come down to say middleweight. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg has to go up to middleweight. Then Mark Zuckerberg's <laughs> going to be eating loads of chicken, loads of protein, and piling on tons of solid muscle. Whereas Elon yeah. Musk's going to be starving himself because he's in that big frame, <laughs> all yeah. the way down to be. So he'll still, he'll be, I think he'd still be flabby at middleweight and have loads of excess. So yeah, probably there because some... he's a smaller guy. If the weight has to come up, I reckon the smaller guy will, will, will probably kick some... his ass. There are some pretty damning pictures of Elon Musk like a few years ago where he's looking really out of shape like really out of shape but then recently i've seen stuff and he looks like he's got a bit of muscle definition so i wouldn't be surprised you know he's a guy certain age now and he wants to clearly he wants to get into like physical competition because he's heating up this whole thing with zuckerberg um i wouldn't surprise me if musk started taking a little gear if 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 it's if it's on the feet musk will knock him out if it goes to the ground zuckerberg will twat him 
Yeah, I reckon Zuckerberg by submission. I reckon he gets on his back and chokes him out, personally. But I saw another thing that said that it's taking place in the Colosseum in Rome. (laughs) Have you seen that? It's it's ridiculous. I love that they can, though. That's the great part. They just can. I bet Italy would be like, absolutely, come and do it in the Colosseum. How much money are they going to make from that? Do you know who Samuel Leeds is? And there's another guy called Rob Moore. Rob Moore wrote the book Money. He's got so these two guys have got the biggest uh, property. Uh, well, they're the two biggest in the UK property guys, and they run property training companies and they buy in properties and they, they like property owners and all that. And Rob Moore's got the Disruptors podcast, right? Which I, I watch quite a lot because he gets some good guests on there. Uh, and 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 he brought this guy on called Samuel Leeds. Uh, and Samuel Leeds was this fat dude, right? So you think to yourself, he's going to get his fucking ass kicked. And this Rob Moore looks tall, slim, uh, in shape. Um, anyway, he, so so the first qu- one of the first questions was from from this Samuel Leeds. He's like, I believe you said you could knock me out, right? <laughs> and he's like, Rob Moore's like, and the sat in a room. It's not like a podcast like this. It's like, uh, so he said, yeah, yeah, but I, I think I could. I think I think I'm I'm too fit, and I think. And he's like, right, put your money where your mouth is. So they shook on it, right? And and they ended up like doing. They ended up shaking hands and saying. Uh, let's let's have a fight. Like let's let's set it up. Let's do it for charity. Let's put. They end up putting hundred grand each in, I think. Um, and anyway, I'm not going to tell you the outcome, but they did the exact same thing and they took it to an event and they sold out the stadium and and they had a bit. They had a boxing match. Um, and one of the guys kicked the other guys. Not kicked his ass, but he won. It was terrible. They were really bad fighters, but they, 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 for them to actually do it, mate, and 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 it was it's an anti climax. Because the fight's not very good. Yeah, but, yeah, it's but true. also um, the way they did it and promoted it was 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 proper cool. And I'm assuming 100 grand went to someone's charity. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, like the influencer boxer thing is really similar, isn't it? You've got like all these YouTubers fighting each other, and it, it does. I mean, I think it's silly. It is really silly. And and get like I've done martial arts. And do you think Jake Paul's pretty good though? Um, I think he's. I think he's. Yeah. I mean, he's been training for like a few years now and had a bunch of i think he's pretty decent yeah he's fighting um what's the the diaz brother called oh nate yeah diaz. nate diaz oh my god he's yeah i win. forgot that was he's happening gonna win in the boxing match nate diaz or, or jake paul dude part of me is like jake paul like <laughs> i know it sounds horrible i'm a i'm a i'm a fan of nate diaz's but like i don't know do you think he's training for it I think Jake Paul's going to knock him the fuck out, mate. Right? <laughs> he's, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, right? But if you ever watch his fights, he's stand-up, although he's, he's, him and his brother have got this this style where they, they constantly it's hit very him. It's very awkward. Forward. But they're not powerful. They've got no power. Whereas Jake yeah. Paul, uh, he's got a badass right hook. I mean, I mean right right hand. He's, I think he's just going to I think he's going to KO him. I think he's going to knock him clean out. And I think it's, it's a shame because Nate Diaz has done so well in, in, in the UFC and he's got so much respect and I don't think he's ever been completely knocked out. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm, I don't ever remember yeah. him getting knocked out or getting finished. His brother turned into a bit as a, not as tough as, as Nate as he got older, but I think, yeah, I've got a feeling Jake Paul will knock him out. Yeah. I don't know if he'll like clean him out in terms of knocking him out, but I think maybe though he, I think there's a chance that he wins by TKO. Like knock Tyrone Woodley out cold, man. Tyrone Woodley was a, was yeah, but I don't know if those early fights were rigged, man. I've just got you know, the the Woodley fight. That, I you, you don't think that was rigged? Ex 
ex ex UFC world champs, right? I'm sorry, you're super competitive. You fought all your life. You fought all the way to becoming a world. You've got the biggest ego in the world. Fighters are so eager. They're like they think that there's no way somebody like Tyrone Woodley would take a dive. I don't give a shit what you say for how much money he made enough money to never work again. When he, he was he was the, he was the UFC champion. I think he defended it multiple times. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah. There's no way on this earth that he's going to take a dive. Maybe some of the 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 the, the guys he fought before that, but Tyron Woodley would never have taken a dive. Yeah. He was one of the most arrogant, ego-driven people you'd ever meet. Even Dana White said, "I hated dealing with him." Dana White said, "Yeah, I, I didn't like him very him. much as a fighter, to be honest. He was because he was a prick. Like, so there's no yeah. way to take a dive. He was too up his own ass for that, I think." Yeah, I and mean, maybe not take a dive as much then, perhaps. But like, I know um, Ben Askren, his one, he like. He didn't take a dive, but he was like a few months out of hip surgery and just looked terrible. Like he was kind of like fat. Ben Askren was a wrestler, man. I he mean, was ben also Askren a wrestler. Was Do you know what? No... He was brilliant. He got to something like 12, 19 or 20 and all with something stupid like that. But yeah. his fights, other than but beating barely... Robbie Lawler, he's never beat anyone decent. And he barely threw a punch in all of those fights. Yeah, but he He's one of those unique fighters that just barely threw a punch. He just controlled people. With his wrestling style, so yeah, yeah, I don't know, but but back to uh, Elon Musk and Zuckerberg. Yeah. The last, the last thing. So I think, right, I've got this theory about it. I think this would make it infinitely better. But feel free to disagree with me, right? So that right now they're trying to like get like all star coaches on board. I know John Danaher has been talking with. I'm pretty sure Elon Musk. I think GSP and John Danaher are talking to Elon Musk. And I've seen Zuckerberg training with um, like uh, Lex, but I've seen him training with Volkanovsky and I think Adesanya and stuff, probably training with him as well, which is awesome. Um, So all-star coaches, that is cool, but I think it would be even cooler and better for mankind if they both created a tool for training themselves and they exclusively used that tool to, to learn martial arts so like zuckerberg has to use like something in the metaverse like he has to like come up with like a vr uh training tool and like musk has to i'm like musk would come up with like a robot or like a tesla thing ai that he has to like he can spar with and train with i think that would be like and then the tech at the end that could be like the charitable sort of donation for making us all uh, endure watching these two amateurs fight each other. <laughs> Mate, I late. think we should put Conor McGregor in a ring against them both at the same time. And I think that'd be the biggest selling fight that could ever imagine. And I'd love them to kick his ass, but I'm pretty sure they wouldn't. No, I'm I don't think they sure. would either. One dig and each one would hit the deck and never get yeah. out. But... One would run away and <laughs> the other one yeah, just battered. Yeah. I was watching a show with him the other day and he was talking to... Um, we turned this into an MMA show, haven't we? I was, I was watching a show with him the other day and Conor McGregor was talking to... What's the cry dude called? Really good, really nice lad. Uh, Wonder Boy, Stephen Wonder Boy Thompson. Thompson. Yeah, and and he was chatting to him in it, and he, and he brought him in to teach his guys some stuff on this uh, on the, the Ultimate Fighter, mm-hmm. and 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 he goes up to Conor McGregor and he's like, "Fucking hell, look at the size of your fists!" And I thought that's why he knocks everybody out because he's got brick sized fists, and if he hits somebody, surface area. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's get back on with the book because we've kind of turned this into an MMA show, and it's not. An yeah, MMA we got show a bit. Ex- we got excited. Well, good fun to do an MMA show every week. Um, yeah, we should do one. We should do one at some point. We'll get someone in, but yeah, Musk and Zuckerberg, eccentric leaders in the business sector. Now let's go back to talking about yeah. startups. So- 
Conor McGregor versus Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> at the same time. We've made the fight. Speak to Dana White. On Mars. Oh, Sign the contract. <laughs> Get on the spaceship. Get on the spaceship. Get on there. Only watch it on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, zero G. That, can Conor McGregor knock them out in zero G? That's what I want to know. Um, I think he would. Your note yeah, is next. It is indeed. All right. So um, Peter Thiel says at the beginning of the book that when he interviews people, he asks them a question that he thinks is really, really important to um, gauging whether or not this person is someone that could basically predict the future with a startup or, a, or a, an investment or something like that. Um, and that question is, what important truth do very few people um, agree with you on? What important truth do very few people agree with you on? And he says that he gets a lot, load of answers that are like, there is no God and stuff like that. But he's like, like a bunch of people agree with you on that. It doesn't, that doesn't work. So um, do, do you have an answer to this, to this question? I was interested to hear your perspective. I've put you on the spot pretty bad here, but. What important um, truth do very few people agree with you on? Yeah, I think mine would have been the same thing to do with either God or Jesus or, or something to do with religion or the bullshit that people think is is, is realistic. Um, yeah, I would have defaulted to that too, to be honest. But then when he explained it, I was like, yeah, in fairness, like actually loads of people agree with you on that. Do we think Jesus Christ was was followed by disciples or were they, were they all a bunch of boyfriends that knocked around together and, and <laughs> one woman? Could it be something like that? I don't know. You don't know. I'm, I'm asking the question. I'm not stating the fact. So you can't. <laughs> don't shoot. Uh, yeah, don't, don't shoot. shoot me. But no, what I mean is, is, is there's loads of shit that I, I, I'm I'm very, very, I don't listen to anything that people tell me unless like, it can be proved. So kind of, there's tons of stuff like this. But I guess if I was going for a a job, it would probably be, and I was in a job interview, I would probably turn around and say, well, I don't believe that, that the harder you work, uh, the the better, m the more success you're going to get. I, 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 a lot of people think oh, the harder you work, the, the more success you get and the more thing. And I don't think that's true. I think you've got to work smart and you've got to, you've got to play the long game. So it would probably be somewhat based around that. Obviously, I wouldn't turn okay. around and say anything bad about Jesus Christ or religion in a job interview because I think that's fucking ridiculous. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't be very but, clever. Yeah. So I I think that I'd, I'd, I'd be so it's, yeah I would probably it'd probably be somewhat based around that a lot of people think it's it's all about the hard work and the hours you put in and things like that and and really it's not it's about the it's it's about the angles that you can create it's leverage it's more about what leverage you can you can create and a lot of people probably don't disagree with that but they probably don't agree with it until you actually explain it the way I'd explain it to them so that's probably where I'd go with that I nice. Imagine. I like it. You've got the job. I definitely wouldn't have got the job. I would have probably probably have been ex escorted out of the building because I would have been dribbling. It took me ages to think of something because I, I was stuck so on all of like, the philosophical like that, you stuff. Give you a fucking chance to answer it, but go on. <laughs> no, you, I, you, you nailed it. You did great. I wanted to hear your look, mate. You're the one who has the successful <laughs> business. <laughs> I thought you'd get, you'd pass the job interview. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even get one. So um, I thought about it for ages absolutely ages um and i came up with uh there are people alive today that will live forever in quotation marks okay. um because i think that you know there are there are people that are like maybe they're under 10 but our technology is going to get so good and longevity is something that we really chase as a species we're always looking for that elixir of life and i think that with genetic 
editing and things like this will be able to maybe not forever you know for eternity because that's that's a big that's a big ask but i mean like for hundreds of years um, you reckon there's people alive today that's going to live for hundreds of years you had so much time to think about this you probably stitched me up with my shitty answers quite possibly and, and, and you probably thought about this yeah i'd probably say um a lot of people don't don't agree with me that i want this job but really i don't and then just walk out Fucking <laughs> your ass. table flip <laughs> like, i'm out of here that's what we want um yeah yeah that's a great answer and i think maybe there are people alive today that will live i mean uh, people like jeff bezels and but then you just thought this about um i've even forgot his name and he, he, he built apple uh steve jobs he'd have thought he'd have lived forever and he died of cancer man it's fucking ridiculous how some well, people people are like they've got cures they've got cures they've got cures and everyone likes to set these this bullshit up that uh the the, the medical um companies are hiding the cures and they don't want to share but if and the and i think it was oh that was aids one it that one of the um basketball players had but it, 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 if if they had a cure for it anywhere on this planet he would have found it wouldn't he yeah definitely yeah i i think i think so but he also was a very strange guy he refused all treatment oh did he like yeah that's what i heard anyway that he refused he refused to be treated oh, maybe he, he was a pretty strange hippie kind of dude wasn't he so i think uh he eccentric leadership again um <laughs> the ghost of steve jobs versus hear <laughs> me out conor mcgregor <laughs> no, no i'm kidding <laughs> but the um uh like yeah, I think I think he refused treatment, but uh, I don't know. Part of me is like maybe maybe that was a little too too early. I don't think we maybe have that tech now, and that's why I'm putting forever in quotation marks because I know obviously there are some. There's going to be the high. There's a high chance, as we all know, that there's maybe a disease that comes out of nowhere, blindsides humanity, and we really struggle to find a cure for it. And it doesn't matter how many genetic edits you can do to. Uh, you know, a person to make their skin regenerate or something. Um, that's still going to take them out. So, yeah, I, I'm putting forever in quotation marks, but I know there are animals that can basically, like, regen. They, like, basically live forever. A lot of, like, sea creatures, like, deep-sea animals, they have, like, a... Jellyfish. Like a re yeah, they have, like, a regenerative cycle. That is actually... Jellyfish is funny you should say that. That is one of the other... That's how I got this answer, is because I thought to myself what's this important truth and i was like jellyfish are aliens like that's my important truth that few people agree on <laughs> and then from that i was like hmm, no actually like why are they aliens because they live forever and then i got my other answer so it's kind of weird you've reverse engineered my question back to me everybody's an alien everything's an alien if you think about it alien doesn't make sense everything's come from right. space hasn't it hmm one yeah, time or another, even though we've evolved, we still started out as aliens from somewhere, or the, the, so the like... micro, the organism that that, that caused. Because I mean, everything's created right. from heat and moisture, isn't it? Heat, moisture, rot. That's kind of as soon as as yeah, soon as you get moldy. heat and moisture, it starts to rot and it gets disgusting, and then it, it forms life. As far yeah. as I'm aware, so I yeah, I'm I'm going with that. Yeah, extraterrestrials. We've all come you, from somewhere off, off. When you live in a hot country, if you leave a puddle anywhere. Within, with, but I think they lay shit in it, don't they? I don't think it's just something that, uh, that that grows there. But I'm pretty sure life is formed from from. Is it like mushrooms Bubbles. and shit like that? Yeah, yeah but, um, yeah. Like we, I mean, we're fungal life forms. Yeah, and the the Might biggest the biggest life form on Earth is actually the uh, mycelial network, which is like a massive underground network of mushrooms. 
um it's, really? all connect- it's all connected it's the biggest living thing on planet earth it's pretty cool just, bunk- just a load of mushrooms <clears throat> yeah it's like a it's like a massive like sort of mushroom network that kind of spreads out they actually did a cool experiment with mushrooms where they um they uh put a map of tokyo and then they put like um like sort of stuff that the mushroom i think it was like they put spores of mushrooms on it and then like on where the stations were they put it in tokyo they put like uh something nutritious for the spores that would that would attract them and basically it the mushrooms spread out and started to like form like a network um to all wow. of the different stations and get this it actually created um it followed the where the trains were because the um engineers had made the trains the most efficient journey from those areas and because the mushrooms are naturally hyper efficient they followed where the tracks were going and sometimes they didn't and the engineers were like huh yeah we could actually make that a more efficient journey by going a different way wow yeah it's super cool mushrooms are insane man really cool there's there's a big argument about uh oh was it terence mckenna says that mushrooms uh came from space and they're aliens um and yeah, but if you get magic like, mushrooms, then they're pretty cool. Yeah, magic mushrooms came from the base, and they're actually um, they're like an alien life form, and that's why like you see crazy shit because they're actually like aliens trying to talk to you. Cool as shit, man. Right, let's move Very on cool. with the show. We, we keep going on these crazy rants today, which is cool. So yeah. these are, these are two of mine. One to n equals copying things that work horizontal. See, I didn't just know which one horizontal was. Um, extensive progress driven by globalization. So basically. Um, if you invent something in the UK and you're like, yeah, I'm the first person that that's, that's, that's vertical <clears> progress. <throat> and that that's uh, zero, uh, zero to one. But then mm-hmm. if you start spreading that around the world, you'd literally just spreading what already exists. So they class that as one to N that's what he says. And then the next one here says zero to one equals doing new things, vertical, um, intensive progress driven by technology. So basically shit that's this, if, if you imagine, you're stacking it on top of what already exists but i think i think you could also say that this is new opportunities so if you're creating something that already exists but you spin it from a sales perspective you kind of spin it out as something that's completely new and a different angle then you can be very 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 successful and you can get rid of competition in the market because competition in the market everybody's trying to sell it on the same plateau. Everybody's trying to sell it the same way. Whereas if you can say, right, well, I've created this, but I've got a different spin on it. Like the Blue Ocean Strategy, the book that I keep mentioning that we should do on here because it's fucking awesome. Um, and the Blue Ocean Strategy is the same thing. It's what you're doing is you're looking for uncontested markets where people are not. So so, so he, he explains it. I think he explains it like this. On the left-hand side, you've got a load of sharks in, in, in an ocean and you throw a bit of meat in and they're all fighting like fuck for the scraps. Whereas if you've got a blue blue ocean strategy, you throw the meat in there and there's only one shark, so he just swims up, grabs, eats what he wants and leaves what he doesn't like. Um, and, and, and he says, if you can find a blue ocean in any market, then you can make a ton of money before all the other sharks start to jump into your ocean and then start trying to grab it and, and, and everything becomes competitive. And, so I think yeah. what he's talking zero to one is finding a blue ocean where there is no competition that you can grow and thrive before you then start moving into their red oceans and taking a monopoly. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And if you're the only shark in the ocean and you're getting fed, you're going to be the biggest shark when all the other sharks arrive to get the food. So you'll be able to keep the monopoly. See if you got the same answer as me, zero to one technology in the last five years, which is, which is the biggest one that's just, that's come out. Uh, zero to one technology in the last five years. Um, AI. 
ChatGPT. ChatGPT, I would say, because yeah, AI has been around for a while, so the technology technically has already gone from zero to one. But they've the way they've taken it is new opportunity, blue 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 ocean strategy by turning it into ChatGPT and saying to people, now every man and his dog has access to this crazy fucking smart ass technology that can do um, yeah cool stuff that we we were never able to do before. Um, It's like um those people they were uh, it was during covid i think there was a while where people were like there's like a medicine that treats like diabetes i think or maybe aids i'm not sure which one it was but it was like it was like a drug for a, another illness and um people started being like yeah let's test it on covid patients and it started like showing some early signs of working and that's kind of the same thing right it's it's just another diabetes drug but then if you repackage it and it it treats another illness it can go zero to one in a different industry. It's more like the intention rather than I was than talking the... to, to a guy last night who um, he, he d- does AI. Oh, that's all he does now. He, he's written 300 books, right? He was on a podcast with me last night. He's written 300 books, um, best-selling author and all that stuff. And I was talking to him about it. And now what he is, is he's a prompt engineer. Um, and I was talking to him about it on the podcast and he was explaining that, that, that basically what's going to happen is um, it might have been me that was talking and saying it and it was him that was agreeing uh, but basically what's going to happen is eventually all your computer programmers are going to become obsolete they're not going to be needed anymore so because so, so if you can become a prompt engineer for AI now that's the developers of the future mm. um, and what he does for a living is he, he coaches people and teaches people how to use AI to make their businesses and their, their lives more efficient um, and, and there's some of the stuff you can do just by knowing the right prompts because he says what a lot of people do is um, it's like we've always got into the habit of telling computers what to do. But he says, and what a lot of people don't realize is with, with AI and, and ChatGPT, what you should be doing is asking them what it wants you to do to get the best results and then giving them that back. So if I wanted to do this, what would be the best prompt that I could ask you so that I could get this result from this? Thing? And then it'll give you the prompt. Then you put the prompt back in and it'll it'll do a better job than you could ever imagine. He's like, so you Smart. don't even need... And I was like, "Wow, it really does." And 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 the technology that's out there now is 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 fucking ridiculous. But the way he's using it was was pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. You'll probably see that that's podcast awesome. actually Monday, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. Yeah, I, I had the the um. Well, I'll have to check it out because I'm editing it. But the um <laughs> the uh yeah, I had a, an experience with prompts yesterday actually because I was trying to generate um some content. And I have, you know, I've been using ChatGPT to to help write content before, but I always struggled with the um, word count because it doesn't seem to respond very well to, if you type in, in like, please make your response 2,000 words, it, it just can't, it, it never seems to be able to do it. Like, it always seems to, like, stop at around, you know, five to 700. Um, so I had this, I, I was just, feeling of i don't know a bit strange i decided that i would just talk to chat gbt like it was like a person and was just like okay so and i explained like i'm trying to make this as long as possible my plan is to make this content as long as i physically can without losing any kind of um quality so i explained my intention from the word go and i was like uh so i've been uh please like make sure you're maximizing everything to like give me the most word count possible. I'm trying to make it 2000 words. And like, I just gave it all of this information. Like I was telling a colleague um, and it was the biggest workout it's ever given me. And after every single 
part of content it gave me it was like is this okay would you like me to make this longer and it started like actually answering back as if it was in like an email conversation with me it was really weird um but it was it was the best and longest content i've ever made it generate so, do you think eventually they'll have bars where you can go you know like you get a lot of these uh, pissheads that go into bars on their own and they sit there drinking bored out the mind do you think eventually they'll have little robots sat in bars that you can go in and you can have a conversation like you would with chat gpt so it's like it keeps your conversation and you can ask it questions and it'll chat with you and it'll do that's got to come on it eventually it's got to I be mean, stuff like that where people so... are lonely so they're actually talking, physically speaking to a machine that's got the intellect to have a, have a conversation with. I think this okay. is a good time to put in my next note, actually. Uh, predicting the future. Should we be afraid? Um, obviously, the I'll jump straight back to your point. Um, in a bar, maybe not, because a bar by its, by its own nature is like a social place. I know there are yeah, people most, that sit there and the don't. People, local pubs are shutting down like crazy. And if you go into them, most of the people sat in there I like uh, they're usually men, right? You don't get yeah. many alcoholic women sat behind a bar, which is, which is, no. I guess it's a male. I guess we're we're, we're women are a little more sociable, like they're, maybe. They're, you don't I tend think... to get women sat behind a bar drinking fifteen pints a day, whereas you see loads of men. But they're sat on their own all the time, all day. Whereas if they just had this mad little robot to chat to, yeah, yeah, they'd well, spend a lot more money. <laughs> I mean, they're they're all they're always on their phone anyway, and they're all like always doing like uh gambling like play-by-play -play gambling and stuff like that like they that's like huge in pubs now i've started playing football it's like i can't believe how many people are uh using these betting apps to to entertain themselves L literally we're sitting in the pub after a game and everyone's on their phones like betting on matches i would say to my missus look around look around this restaurant in here because i would say to my kids put your phone away if we go out for something to eat <clears throat> just put your phone away just, just, just don't mess with it let's talk let's have a family a family yeah. meal and um I always say to my missus, just look around now, how many people, like like couples are sat there and both of them are sat on the phone staring at the thing, like what's going on. And you see yeah. most of, like usually 80% of a restaurant are now sat on their mobile. He was so clever, wasn't he, when he created the iPhone? Yeah. Yeah. Smartphones. Well, smartphones are another like zero to one thing that's yeah. just changed the world completely. So um, was the iPod, wasn't it? thousand songs in your pocket that's how we marketed it because everyone was used to carrying around uh, you probably didn't but back in the day i had a car in my car i had these folders that, that had a zip on them and you'd open it they'd be about 20 or 30 cds in there and i thought i was proper smart because it's like most people still had tape players right mm -hmm. so you'd have to put a tape in and i had these cds and i had a cd player in the car with a big boom box in the boot and i was a teenager uh didn't have a driving license uh but uh, and he had all of these these CDs, and and it was like, and that was, and, and every car you got in had that. It's like, where's your CDs? And you'd pull out from under the seat or out the glove box, yeah. and it'd be full of CDs and that. And then all of a sudden, he brought out Flick this. The room. Yeah, he brought out this thousand songs in your pocket, and then all of a sudden, all the radios yeah. started getting USB ports, and it's like you're getting. It's like, wow, you've got a USB port. I can put yeah. the iPod in. And, yeah, not and, not only that, it killed radio itself, like actual radio with it. Yeah, I don't listen to radio anymore. But I've got no. these, these mad ones in my car where you can flick through, like because it's got a touch screen in the middle, uh, and you can press the button and it brings up all the radio stations. You can flick through and it's like, and there's hundreds and hundreds of radio stations. And yeah, I never do. It's always Amazon Music or or Apple Music or what yeah. other ones have we got? YouTube Music. There's three different. It's the one of them three. My kids like you press Spotify a button. Is what I use. You can press a button and it says, uh, and you can say to to, to the car, play whatever song you want on youtube music and the car will just play the music i mean where have we come from from 
from what we were at, where you used to have to put a tape in and rewind it and find the song you liked. And now yeah. it's, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I even remember like early before, like pre-smartphones, like if you wanted a personalized ringtone and you didn't want to buy it, like you'd have to like play the song on a CD and like record the use a sound recorder on your phone to record the song playing on CD and then you could have it as an audio file and then you could set it as your ringtone. I remember I, like getting I remember when I was younger, personalized ringtones. I had a tape player next to my bed that was a radio and I remember doing exactly what you've just said there. So what I'd do is I'd listen to the radio for songs that I liked. I'd hit record and then as I got to the end, I'd try and hit stop before they started talking. You're like the end of the song, so boom, stop and you you create these tapes um and i think everybody used to do that because then you take your tape in, in your little walkman and your mates would be like oh wow this is a mint tape and like can you make me a copy um, uh, and these things really go around in circles don't they because like my i remember when i was a kid my dad he he uh, well, way before i was born when he was a teenager he used to go into our the local town with his boom box and like a sheet of cardboard and his mc hammer pants and he used to just used to do that you used to do it as well? No, I said, who used to do that? My dad. Your dad used to do it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Your dad's a police officer. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Nowadays, he'll be moving people on like that. Get off the street. You can't do this. Yeah, but yeah, probably. I mean, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's what, what he used to do. Him and, his, him and his buddy used to go out and find a spot in the town, put their boombox down, and then just dance in the street. And when I, when I was growing up, I was like... I had your reaction. I was like, that is absurd. Like, that's really stupid. Like, I can't believe you've done that. It's just horrifyingly embarrassing. Um, I mean, I'm grateful for it because I've inherited his, his dance moves. But, <laughs> the, um, <laughs> but at the time, I was like, that's so stupid. But now, if you go to like a park in a city and you look around, there are loads of young people with their phones or speaker fucking dancing. And they're filming it and they're posting it on TikTok. It's literally just the same thing, but now they have TikTok to post it on and it's all gone around in a circle. I, I remember when, when, when we were in Manchester, my, my brother first started doing his music, right? Um, and there was a, there was a, a guy there that, that signed him to a management contract and they, they didn't make much money from management. You needed to get publishing and all this stuff to get to make money out of your music. But obviously they, they, they were like, let's build your album, let's do your thing. And he was always too embarrassed to do it, right? But there was another guy, and I think he's he's got albums and that out now, and he's, his name was Sam Gray, I think it was, um, who got signed at the same time to this same management deal. And um, he used to go into the t- into the town centre busking, right? And I remember my brother laughing at him, like, oh, I'll check you out going begging, right? And he's like, Cal, I make like three to four hundred pounds a day, mate. This was like, this was like probably closing in on 15, 16 years ago, something. And wow. this guy was making three to four hundred pounds a day in Manchester City Centre, busking because he was good, and he was singing his own songs and his own tracks, and he's busking, and he was making loads and loads and loads of money. That supported his whole life. He used to go out busking and make loads, of, and he was living a, a better lifestyle than most like professional lawyers and things like that at the time. That's crazy. Like, yeah, because we thought it was funny. It's like ah, you're like a tramp, you're begging on the street, and he's like, mate, it's not. You think about if you if you swallow your pride and you stop being a complete fucking knob about these things you actually make a fortune doing it and, and when it when he when he told us how much he was making he was like oh my god but my brother still never went out and did it he wouldn't yeah. go out and do it which was mad because when we lived in london it's like he could have made an absolute fucking fortune up in london doing that totally it's just constantly but but then eventually now they've started moving people on aren't they and they, yeah they, they, 
governments realised how much money you can make from busking and, and singing in the streets. So they're like, oh, we can't have people making money unless we're getting taxed off it. So let's um, let's stop them doing it. I think there's a licence you can get now. You yeah, you have to have a licence to do it in... It's ridiculous, isn't it? I think in Weymouth, you have to have a... In the town we live in, we, you have to have a busker's licence. But uh, in Winchester, when I went to uni, I think they didn't have to have a busker's license because you'd see like there were so many live of uh, just people busking in Winchester. It was crazy how many people were doing it. You'd be like walking down the street and there'd be like a different song on every street. It was really weird. Um, but I don't know if they've changed that now because I was like 10 years ago. So it might have changed it. It's, do you think it's ridiculous that the government makes you because because you've got a talent, you've got no other way of getting a platform. So you go out and you're like, I just want to I want people to hear my music. I want people to. And the, and so what if you're making money doing it? They're, they're like, no, 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 you need a license, you need this. You need... They're not hurting anyone. Mate, I completely agree. And I think it, looking at the uh, like the note I've put there, like predicting the future, should we be afraid? One thing I am genuinely very afraid of is the amount of uh, control and power that we're ceding to governments, not to get a little too political. I just think it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Like you want to just go and sing songs on the street corner and people say, Hey, that was, that was a beautiful song and giving you money for it. And the government's like, nah, can't do that. Why the fuck yeah, not? And, it, and it's just a bunch <laughs> like, of guys in the room, politicians like, that make up bullshit rules. Really? Yeah. And like, like you said, like the police earlier about my dad moving someone, I'm, I'm not sure the nuance of that, whether he would or not, but I, the fact that they're like enforce, like these, the police officers that probably don't agree with it have to enforce it. It's like so weird as well. That you've been to Paris? Uh, yes, but my trip in Paris it rained really bad. Um, yeah, so that's, that's I Paris it always does. But under the bottom yeah. of the Eiffel Tower, you get all these freestyle dancers and stuff. Did you see all that? Oh, stuff that's there? cool. No, mate, it was slamming it down. So I was like brawling up, running around. Yeah, yeah. But bottom of the Eiffel Tower, there's loads of these guys doing these like head spins and all this crazy stuff with a boot. Like that's said, cool. Boom boxes and all that. They're all over the place under the thing. I I um I I broke me me foot playing football uh, mm-hmm. before I went over there. So I turns up on crutches, right? So I gets out at Charles de Gaulle uh, train station, I think it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Gets out at the train station, and I'm 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 thinking along. It might have been the airport, and then I'm looking to get Charles on the, de Gaulle is the airport, right? It might have been the airport, right? So I gets out and I'm struggling. I've got my bags and I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. And this guy says to me, um, "Yeah, mate, do you, do you need some help? Do you want me to help you?" Like he says. So I was like, "I'm trying to buy a ticket. I'm trying to thingy." So he says, uh, yeah, "I'll sort it out for you." And he does the does the machine, does the other bit, um, takes the money. I don't know how he did it all. Uh, anyway, I goes in and gets on this train, this this thing to get to the next place. And then when I goes back to use the ticket again, and, and I was like, mm-hmm. it's not working. It was supposed to be a full weekend pass. Um, uh-huh. And I go back, and what he'd done is he'd taken like a couple of hundred euros off me and only given me a one-way ticket. And I was like, nice. no way, the smart. How much money must he make doing that? Yeah, but that's at the time, funny you should no say that. I had yeah. no money, so oh, okay. I was broke, so I was like, fuck. So I had to put another 200 euros into that, which made the weekend pretty crap. But it was like entrepreneurial spirit on that guy. He spots me and he's like, I'm going to steal your money. Yeah. <laughs> they, like, you motherfucker. They, I've heard that they've got a like a special bureau in, in Paris for, um, I think it's run by several of like the uh, sort of Asian nations. Like, I think Japan, Korea. Uh, and yeah, maybe China, maybe Thailand has one. I'm not sure, but I definitely know Japan has one. And it is the 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 bureau exists only to console Japanese women who have gone to Paris, believing it is like this European city of love, 
and uh, have been robbed of all of their money and possessions at the train station. <laughs> Mental, isn't it? <laughs> it happens to everyone. It happened to so many of my students when I was teaching in Asia. They'd be like, I'm going to Paris. I'd be like, oh, that's wonderful. And then they'd come back and be like, we got robbed. <laughs> I'd be like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I got robbed me. as well. <laughs> yeah. I'm one of the gang. I still got drunk and had a great weekend. It's just that if I'd have been that's drinking champagne, thing. instead I was drinking white wine or cider. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's funny. Is what it is. Um, so, no, I don't think we should be scared. I think we should embrace the future and um, maybe try and think of ways to, to, to add to it that, that's going to be financially beneficial for us. Right. I mean, we don't, I mean, we, if you don't necessarily control what happens in the future. So there's not really any point of being afraid because, you know, being afraid would insinuate that there's something, you know, there's something bad's going to happen, but you know what I mean? Like there's no really, it's a waste of energy. Um, but it's interesting, we were talking about AI a second ago, and you were saying how it's like replacing coders, um, computer coders. Like, do you think that that's something that we, just everyone in general, will have to worry about, like getting replaced well, be- by? Because a computer programmer AI. will still be better at prompts than somebody who's not a computer programmer because they, under- they understand how it's structured and put together. So there's the frameworks. I know that we spent about £400 or dollars on something the other day, which enables the team to build the software that we're building in a structured format that so that a new developer can come in um and instantly go in and understand the framework and what it is they do so and 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 we do use a lot of chat gpt now in the things that we're doing but we're building out frameworks for software tools so that we only have to that they've got all different apis and things like that connected to it so we can put it on a server and then we can say right what functionality do we want this thing to do but you're still going to need a computer programmer to do the implementation to understand how it goes on a server to to to, to, to unless you're going to give chat gpt access to all your servers and your private records and everything else and i don't know if you can yet but i'm assuming you will be able to you still need a person that understands how how the framework goes together so i guess I, I guess i don't know is the answer it's 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 a dodgy one it's it's i remember saying to you when it first come out what's going to happen now is the people who've been super high paid for so long which is these technical jobs they're going to become minimum wage jobs and then i think what's going to happen is it's going to enable a lot of the more artistic people to now come forward and it'd be like the people who create the people who are super creative and artistic, I think they're going to become more higher paid jobs because you you can't teach AI to do the creation that a human can do, but you can teach AI to do the job that a technical person that's a computer programmer or somebody that, like an accountant. I, um, on the podcast, I was talking to the guy last night and he basically said um, that you can get him to, to so, so he doesn't use it for research because it's always trying to please you so it will lie to you. So he didn't use it for research, but he uses it for analytics, right? So for example, if I've got a business and I'm putting everything into a Google Doc, right? Um, all of my information, all of my data, all my spend and everything else straight into a Google Sheet, sorry. I can then make that public for a second, give ChatGPT access and let ChatGPT analyze all the data to tell me exactly how much tax I'm going to pay, how many, all that other stuff in like a split second. So an accountant nowadays, if you're an accountant and you're not doing integrating AI into what it is you're doing, then eventually you're going to get one guy who can take on five, six, seven hundred different clients. Will take all the business in your in your home time because you're still doing it manually, um, and and still scanning receipts and doing all that bullshit. So I think what it is is we have to be more create. We have to to figure out more efficient ways to run our businesses or or our lives using 
uh, AI. Otherwise, we're going to fall behind because, like I've always said to you guys, everybody needs to use ChatGPT in the office because otherwise, some some little guy in India that doesn't even speak English can 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 write ten times as much content as ten people based in an office doing it manually, and it can be mm. just as good quality. And he doesn't even speak the fucking language, so it's kind of like or or he, or he speaks broken English. So it kind of it has to be implemented. So every business should become more efficient. Prices should be driven down on 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 cost to 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 expense ratio, and something like this is is I think it's I think it's brilliant. I, I think it's absolutely awesome. But we've got to embrace it and use it, not say I'm not using this. This is taking away human jobs and stuff like that. Actually, when I go shopping, have you seen the counters where you can walk up and self service? Yeah, I never use it. I always walk past them like fuck you guys. You're taking people's jobs because I do feel like that's taking people's jobs away because like you'll have one person now running an ASDA. <laughs> Yeah, uh, or, or Walmart, they call it in the States, and you're all these self-service checkouts. And I'm like, I always look for the one that's got a person on it and I'll wait in the queue to go through. And I guess that's that tiny little bit of thing. But eventually, everyone's going to be pushed into self-service and stuff like that. I mean, I think Amazon's yeah. brought out shops now. I think I've seen, um, what's his name? One of the SEO guys, uh, Craig Campbell. Okay. Going into a shop in Scotland. And I don't, I don't, they've probably got these in the States. I've not seen one in real, real life yet, but you walk in, it recognizes you, you pick up your stuff off the shelves that you want and you walk out and it charges your yeah. Amazon account for it. Yeah. I've it's seen like, those. Okay. Yeah. That's, that? that's definitely, definitely the future for that stuff. But um, that means I mean, all them people that have not got skills that are doing retail positions are going to lose the jobs. It's going to be the same with petrol stations. You're going to be able to drive in. It's going to scan your registration. It's going to know exactly who you are. You, f you, you fill up your car and then you drive out and it'll just automatically charge you. Um, yeah. it might, I mean, I think in the States, they've, they've started bringing out where they change the battery on your car rather than you having to wait to charge your vehicles. Wow. So technology's yeah, technology's coming, but w what does that leave for the unskilled human? Yeah, the the thing is though about ChatGPT that I I quite uh, well AI in general is that when they brought it out they made it accessible straight away to like people they wanted people to try it for free and there are paid plans now but they're not they're they're not ridiculously expensive so like people who don't necessarily have education and and skills will maybe be able to skill themselves up by using tools like AI to help their learning. So I think it would benefit people in other ways. Do you know what I mean with that? Like the like online courses and interactive courses are going to be so much more interactive with AI. Education, um, like open university and stuff is going to end up being, I think, will end up overtaking um, the, the guy physical that, university. The, the, one of the first guys to use it. Oh, one of the things, and this was someone he was telling me last night, he's one of the first people to use AI. Um, basically, apparently, he wrote into it, go to the uh, 10 banks with the weakest security system in um, in in the US or the UK, I don't know which one it was, and um, find the flaws in their security and hack into them, right? Obviously, they've stopped you being able to do that now with it, but at yeah. first, it wasn't. It was left kind of open so people could do anything. And that type of thing. I mean, I mean, imagine being able to say, go and find all the Bitcoin wallets, Bitcoin wallet IDs out there, and any that's got any money, and transfer it to this Bitcoin wallet ID. Would it work? Yeah. Wouldn't it work? I don't know. But the technology's there to do it. The thing is, the technology's there to do it, right? And human beings like me and you, we have it capped. We have it thinking, but the government don't. You imagine yeah. the, the U.S. government, for example, because I'm pretty sure ChatGPT is a U.S. company. I could be wrong, but I, I would imagine it's in the U.S. because all the coolest shit comes from the states, right? But 
or, or the cool shit that we get access to because obviously like Russia and places like that have probably got cool shit we don't know nothing about. But if you imagine right. the government using ChatGPT, the unfiltered version, right, which would be like, okay, they can hack into anybody's anything and they can track yeah. everything you're doing and what you're thinking and, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Well, that's like an interesting thing because obviously we're in the States and most sort of Western countries, you have a these businesses are private so they can like the government can't just take they'd have to go to court and stuff wouldn't they to like actually take yeah, but they don't really they just control. don't fucking tell anyone i mean if if somebody in 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 in, in government starts doing something that we don't know about especially in these agencies that are not actually ruled by parliament mm-hmm. yeah I, 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 is it cia and things like that they called i don't know but yeah, yeah. They, they break the rules and do whatever they want somebody goes and tries to say well you can't do xyz nobody ends up getting in trouble for it it's just a case of it's like a slap on the wrist you shouldn't have been doing that and then or they find somebody lower down the pecking order to take the rap for it and they kick yeah i know what you mean so there's no way they won't because humans are inherently we're always trying to break the rules yeah especially like i mean i was the thing i was going to bring up is like somewhere like china for example all of the businesses are state-owned because of the country being communist so if you create technology in China, it belongs to the state. It doesn't belong to you. So that's, that's a bit naive, isn't it? Because now people have got no. Well, that's why they wanted motivation. to ban. Like that's why they wanted to ban Huawei and um, stuff like that. The phone company Huawei and um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, well, TikTok um, was people. You know, people aren't allowed in government. Aren't allowed TikTok on their phones and stuff because it is a is a technology that is owned there is a western wing of it that that's the one that we have because the chinese one is censored but the um yeah they they own tiktok and and huawei the brands so if you have them on your phone you have a huawei phone there's just who knows maybe the chinese government could literally just take all of the data because if it goes back to huawei huawei is owned by the government because of the communist nature of the country they own the data in the phone, so they own your data. It's kind of wow. weird. Yeah, it's like being in prison. So that, that's it? why they were. Yeah, that's why they were banning that kind of stuff. And and I I agree with you though that I think the American government would be like, yeah, China will will do that to you, so you better be careful. Whereas like they're probably doing exactly the same thing. Let's be honest. They're just keeping it a secret. Yeah, you know there was because... a, uh, yeah, they're just keeping it a secret, like. I, Did that seem like forever? It did. It did. It seemed like an eternity. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I had to do something. We should. It's cool. I wrote down the timestamp. We should probably say, and we're back or something. Or you could put one of them things up that says, in fact, you could put one of these things at watch. Let me show you. Let me show you. So now, right. when yeah, that so... comes to the cut where I put my finger up, it just get caught to that. Done. Boom. Nice. And then I'll cut um, this out as well. <laughs> nah, leave it in. I, I would leave it all in, mate. I wouldn't give a fucking shit about cutting that stuff. Um, no one's asked. Um, yeah, I was, so... I was going to say that there's this company in, in uh, I think it was Hong Kong, and they had AI on their on their board. 
and uh, on their board of directors and they would ask the ai about um investments and stuff that uh, it basically had a vote like everyone on the on oh, board wow yeah and uh it, almost every time it was given the freedom to vote for a for an investment or a direction for the company it always chose a uh, an ai development company to invest in or it chose a um uh, to basically up upskill ai development Holy it, it always shit, imagine if they created chose to it, like oh my god that's what you want you want an ai thing that you bring in to it to a meeting that kind of sits on the table and you kind of have a cut so, so when i'm having a conversation with Mark, martin and saying what should we do about this how should we move the company in that direction should we we actually ask the ai as well and say what well, what would you recommend because because you're going to make so much more you're going to make way better decisions aren't you if you've got ai on your side that takes in all the factors that you don't yeah. even think about so you could almost um, like it could almost take minutes of your meeting and then you could ask it at the end like what its opinions are to say take into account right and then it'd be like inflation stock markets take into account um, what you're going to expect is going to happen with the uk to us currency take into world politics into account take all these different factors even on small decisions you ask it to take all of these factors into account and you get a list of about 300 factors it has to take into account then answer i think the answers would always be super powerful yeah totally um and yeah and when i heard that i was like oh my god <laughs> the future that's kind of scary but it's not because and because that is it makes sense that it would it would choose ai things and people think yeah that's scary because it just wants better ai and it wants like the rise of the machines but if it really wanted the rise of the machines it wouldn't be like invest in better ai it would be like invest in the power grid or you know like better energy sources because like a human being isn't going to be like yeah we need you know it's not going to like try and like, you know we need these things it's going to it wants food and water and the stuff that's going to sustain it at the end of the day whereas but the if i was to turn around and say to it then like, like let's say okay i want to make a 250,000 pound investment and i want to triple my money in the next five years what should i invest in imagine the answer that ai had come back with something that me and you would never think of yeah, I mean, it wouldn't. The thing is, AI as it is, like the AI that we have, wouldn't give you an answer. No, I think it would. If it takes I, into account world politics and world economy and what's going on in all the different countries, and absolutely, there might be something going on now in like Manila or somewhere like that that we don't know fuck all about. That AI could look yeah. at and say, okay, well, if this does this and this does this and this does that in the next five years, then this is going to be a monster such and such, and the predict the 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 probability of this happening is like 60, 70, 80% chance. And if it, even if it doesn't happen, then you're not going to lose your money. You're still going to have your 250 grand. So invest your 250 grand into this and you should have three quarters of a million in. Mate, the shit that that could do now is, I don't know if, that, that, that's got to be legal, hasn't it? They can't say that's illegal. That's not inside of trading. That's just predictive fucking, somebody must have the shit that can do that. Yeah, definitely. People, are, I'm sure someone's developing that AI, but I don't think it would get rolled out to normal folks because it's one of those things where it's like the existence of that ai makes its effectiveness less do you know what i mean like if that ai exists then that means that other people will start having access to that ai which means that they'll all be searching for things to invest in and the ai will be giving will be using the data that exists to give the same to give responses so therefore it would confuse itself by then everyone would invest in like one thing 
and it would all get a little bit strange. Do you know what I mean? Do you think if you asked AI the 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 the, the what would be the best move going forward to ensure the longevity of the planet? So to say that the planet's not going to get destroyed and not going to do you think it'd say kill all people? Um, we destroy that's it. Interesting. We wreck shit, don't we? That's all we do. We just wreck shit. We just keep spreading, breathing, and fucking wrecking shit. Yeah, but we are of the earth. We are part of it. As much as we're trying to take ourselves out of it, we are part of it. So, yeah, but cars and stuff are not like all the burning of the of the the stuff that's in the earth that's getting rid of all the oxygen and killing all the trees yeah. and destroying all the land and to, to yeah. turning it into concrete fucking jungles instead of like proper jungles where which create oxygen, which create life which create uh, i did you think it would do you think it'd get killers or do you think it'd um i don't know yeah maybe or maybe it would it would try and or the thing is like, certain populations yeah that's that's always the argument i have with this like the kill all that let's start killing people we need less people on planet earth like that's my argument with the whole thing is all right who, who so dies you, first then? <laughs> so you think it'd take out China, it'd take out the US, it'd take out the UK, it'd probably take out all of the most... Um, like well, the, if you're... All the biggest cities and that are generating the most damage to the planet and then it'd be like, leave leave the countries where... Leave the third world countries alone because they're not wrecking that much in comparison to the rest of us. Well, I mean, it, it would depend on what metric it's using to to see about us destroying the, in the, destroying the world because if it's like pollution... There are like countries that are really big polluters that aren't necessarily super highly developed countries, but Who? because they're not super well, I mean China's very developed, but it is a massive polluter. Yeah. Um when I was in um when I was in Bangkok, for example, in Thailand, there were days where you weren't you, you couldn't go outside because the dust particles in the air were so bad from all like the crop burning and stuff like that that they were doing. Where was that in? Bangkok. In Thailand, seriously, is that bad? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. It, actually, it ended up being kind of. Uh, it was a weird sort of synchronous event because we. I woke up one morning and I was going to go into work, and I got a warning on my phone saying like dangerous levels of PM two point five, which is a dust particle that's um, prevalent in in the uh, smog in Bangkok. I don't know if it is also in other parts of the world. I would assume it is. So the smog but, in Los Angeles is that the same thing? I would assume so. Yeah, I I, th I I would assume that it's the same dust particle. But basically, the the scientists have discovered this PM two point five, which is it, go it gets into your lungs. It's really bad for you, and it is it ha negatively affects your lifespan. You you will die younger if you spend more time exposed to it. Essentially, and they do like a like a weather report. They have a two PM two point five report too, and that one day came up on my phone, and I had a Thai SIM in my phone. Um, but I didn't know that it was, I'd never, you know, I live in, I lived in the countryside before, so I'd never really got a, like a government warning, so to speak. Um, and yeah, it came up on my phone that was like, you, it's really bad today. So like, be careful, like cover your mouth. If your mouth and nose, if you're leaving your house, like don't do any unnecessary travel, which I thought was crazy. Um, so the first thing I did obviously was go online and I looked at the best possible uh, mask that I could find to protect me from this um, 
this particle. So I got this really good, like well-fitted mask with respirators in it. And it like had a Velcro thing at the back, super comfortable, could wear it for hours. Not great to talk through, but it was designed for um, cyclists in city centers um, to stop the pollution. And um, I was like, oh, that's great. It arrived really fast, obviously, because I'm in the middle of a city. And uh, two weeks later, the biggest thing on the biggest headline, there's this new mystery illness coming out of China um, that's affecting the whole world. COVID happened. And I ended up oh, having shit. an amazing mask. Um, and all the masks sold out. People were making masks out of their pants. I'm sure everyone remembers. But yeah, so because of this PM 2.5 warning, I ended up with a sick mask. So you, was in, you was in China when... When it, I was it, I was in Thailand. I was in, in Thailand. I was, yeah, when when um yeah. And did Thailand lock down the same as China? Um yeah, to a point. Yeah, there was like a couple of weeks where there were guys with guns outside of Seven Eleven, which was pretty intense. And there were signs that said God, like I no think. foreigners and stuff. Yeah, I, I, it happened in other places too. But there was like the thing is, Thailand is such a hot place that I, it didn't really spread that badly. Um there was and the healthcare system in thailand was actually very good so um it, it it didn't end up spreading too bad um but uh i had to catch a train to work every day um there was a lockdown period where we were only allowed to be in our, on our flats which was horrible because it was a really small flat and um there were two of us living in it and it was yeah pretty intense but the um yeah the, we had this really weird sort of thing where I was getting on the train every day and this was an airport link train that took people to the airport and they didn't ban any travel from, they banned it from like the Western countries, but they didn't ban it from China. And so I was on this airport link with people and I could see their bags and they had like the area code for Wuhan on their oh, bags. Shit. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm on a train for the people from Wuhan. Like what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, mate, when this all kicked off, I was in Spain. I'd sold my car the day before. I'd got rid of all my furniture from, from my apartment, handed the keys in from my apartment, and then all of a sudden they cancelled all flights. And I was like, fuck, I'm supposed to get back to the UK. I've got two kids and a missus and we couldn't leave the country. Luckily, I had a little office um, that we had to sleep in for six weeks. And I talked a guy into bringing a van over. I overpaid for this van. And we all fucking locked the office, jumped in the van and drove back to the UK. And every time we got stopped, I was like, we're, we're tourists on holiday. We've got nowhere to go. So we bought this van and we're going home. You've got to let us pass. And they did. But before that, we were stuck in like this little tiny, like the size of this office I'm in now. with my autistic daughter in the red hot. So it was fucking horrible, man. Absolutely horrible. Six weeks. Yeah. And all I was trying to do is work. Because <laughs> you know what I'm like? I've got a kid screaming her head off around it. And it's like, oh, man, and you couldn't go outside. Couldn't walk. We had no garden. We had no area to leave it was horrible and then when we set off back it was awesome we drove back we slept in the services and stuff like that in the back of the van and as soon as we got into france we we thought everywhere was going to be as, as bad as, as spain mm -hmm. so we come out of spain into france and then people are walking around with no masks on and we got into the town center and everyone's just doing the normal stuff enjoying the days in the town centers in, in france and that one was like oh my shit and then we got back to the uk and i remember coming back and lorna's mum met us with the key to my house because we had a house waiting in the uk for us so yeah i said to her uh, meet us with the key and I, I made her 
throw the keys to us in the car, right? So I made <laughs> wipe the keys and throw us the keys in the car because we were so paranoid about this 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 COVID virus that was killing everybody because of what we'd been thinking in Spain. And they were all laughing at me taking the piss. I didn't know they were taking the piss at the time. But then when we come back and like none of the neighbors were wearing masks, people were coming out chatting to us. And, and then we were like at the local garage. I was the only one wearing a mask in, in like the local petrol station when I go in to buy stuff. And everybody else never had them on at the time. And I was like, well, why is it so different from here to Spain? But then we got back, took our furniture six months to come back from Spain. So we ended up sitting on garden furniture in because I, I bought garden furniture for the house. We ended up sitting on garden furniture in the living room, um, buying a new TV. So we had a TV, garden furniture, and then two mattresses in the on the third floor of the house upstairs. And we all kept in like the upstairs attic bedroom for uh, for I think it was about six months when we get back until we managed to get wow. all our furniture back from Finger. But it was that's probably it a good like, bonding experience, right? It brought all the family, but really helped us bonding. Got rid of all the technology and all the crap that we, we, that kind of stops people being people anymore like we said about the phones earlier yeah uh, yeah totally i had a yeah a similar experience where i w- like um i was with um a girl at the time and uh, my visa in thailand was pretty solid because i was a teacher so i was kind of protected from getting chucked out of the country um but she was on a temporary visa doing modeling and she got um basically they called her and were like yeah you need to go home and um it was tough because we were living together and it was like i was like it's fine we'll get you like a tourist visa there'll be a, a there'll be an, a way of like extending your visa we found there was a way but she had to leave the country to get it so we had to go to kuala lumpur and my parents were visiting at the time when this whole covid thing kicked off as well so we had that like added dynamic so we ended up buying um both our parents visited at the same time so we ended up buying our parents uh, a trip to this island we we're like go go to this island for like two days and we're gonna go to kuala lumpur and go to the visa office and get her visa stamp and um we landed in in kuala lumpur we got off the plane and um we checked our phones and the first thing we see is uh, Kuala Lumpur's completely locked down. Um, the border to Thailand is closed. <laughs> and like tomorrow is the last day you'll be able to fly home from it. And we were like, Jesus. oh, shit, we're going to get stuck in Kuala Lumpur when uh, and our parents are in Thailand. And it's like the worst possible time for this to happen. Um, but on the plus side, we stayed in a five star hotel for two nights, four pounds each. It cost us for our stay. Why? Because <laughs> there was nobody there. <laughs> there was nobody there. And a currency exchange as well obviously helps, but um, it probably would have been like 20, 30 quid maybe, but it was a, normally, but it was like four pounds. Um, so it's so yeah. that cheap? Like, it's and that cheap a, over there? Yeah, Asia, like um, to stay in places, hotels and stuff can can be very cheap. There, obviously, there are some really like high-tech expensive places to stay. It depends where you are, but this this particular um hotel was five stars and it was um four uh, pounds a night very very cheap and uh yeah well that's the thing we were like maybe we should just stay but they had like an infinity pool and we were like lying in the infinity pool there was nobody around and the next day we got a um a taxi to the airport completely empty airport i've never been in an airport with no people in it before it was really creepy and uh, our taxi driver fell asleep driving us there because there were no other cars on the road. <laughs> he was literally just like drooping in his seat. And uh, I had to keep like trying to make conversation. I was like, you like football? <laughs> football? <laughs> Manchester? <laughs> trying to get his attention. Um, 
and uh yeah but we got there and we managed to get back but it, it was crazy and then my, my parents my parents were obviously like jesus this is nuts they got back to england and um they just walked out of the airport no one had masks on it was all fine but they, they were like in the in the epicenter of it in in asia for like two weeks um crazy experience what a time oh my god um but that's in the past and uh everyone's got a crazy covid story haven't they everyone's got one yeah it does make you worry like talking about the future and stuff and future businesses and whatever obviously the people who made like ppe like the protective stuff made an absolute ton and of money and we're talking about monopolies um creating a monopoly um i think he says in the book the monopolies get a bad rap and they're actually not as bad as you think they are because you get a good experience from a monopoly normally because they have to be so good yeah. Google's cool as shit, isn't it, for people who want to find shit out? Google's the best fucking invention in the last exactly. years. But the the contracts, the government contracts, gave PPE companies, like, well, they weren't even PPE companies. That was the problem. They gave these contracts to people to make the, the protective gear. They weren't, they were just mates. It was basically just like cronyism. And they ended up creating a monopoly <laughs> on PPE because <laughs> no one else was allowed to give the government any protective gear for a while. Um, and they gave them away to like their pub landlords and their mates from school. And, and it actually like no one. Then they ended up coming up with that. That's why they came up with the masks don't work thing. If you remember that for a few weeks, it was masks don't work. Um, they, they actually make it worse. Don't wear them. And then suddenly we started getting the protective gear and they were like, Mars, do work. You have to wear them or you're going to jail. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I, remember, I believe you. <laughs> I remember my sister saying, um, so I remember her saying, cause she won't wear a mask. And I was like, nah, I'm wearing a mask. I'm doing a thing. I'm doing, I was like the, the most work. And she went, right. So you've got that mask on now. Yeah. So what was it? What was the, what was it? She used the, oh, right. She said, I've got a pair of jeans on right now. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, yeah. yeah. And she said, if I fart, will you smell it? And I was like, yeah, and she went, well, how the fuck does a mask stop it getting in then? And, and all of a sudden, I was like, oh, she's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was kind of like people were making their masks out of like pants and T-shirts and stuff. And I was like, but surely that means you can just pull your T-shirt over your face and it gives the same protection. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, dear. It OTT, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Right. Don't prepare for every future. What does that mean? Yeah, so um, when... I think people have this problem, especially young people, where they feel like they have to prepare for every future eventuality. They do like five different sports and they do like a bunch of other, they like really stretch themselves really thin with extracurricular activities. And um, they're sort of preparing for a future where, you know, well, you know, this thing that I'm doing will help me eventually when I, in the eventuality that this happens or realistically, like, if you don't want to do anything with music, if you have no interest in music and you can't see a translatable skill from music, like why are you spending 20 hours a week learning clarinet or something like that? What's the point? Um, and I think that's what he gets at in the, in the book. And I, I don't think that having a contingency plan is a bad idea. Um, and do you I remember do the think... book I read, The One Thing? <laughs> I don't remember it because I didn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> I told you what. Yeah. That's kind of what this is all about. Focus on the one thing that's going to like, like, like. There's no point in learning fucking German, French, and Spanish if you're moving to fucking Germany. You may as well just spend all your time learning German and then go yeah. to Germany and be able to speak German. 
Um, yeah. And I think that that's kind of what the, the book, the one thing is, um, it's about not multitasking. In fact, right. Count from one to five as fast as you can. One, two, three, four, five. So was that about a second? Maybe a little bit longer? Oh, longer? No, I reckon that was maybe a second. Or, or All right, just a, a to E. Do A to E as fast as you can. A, B, C, D, E. Right, so probably about the same length of time, right? Now do one yeah. A, two B, three C as fast as you can. <laughs> okay. One A, two B, three C, four D, five E. There you go. Proves it, doesn't it? Multitasking. The proof is in as the pudding. As soon as you try and multitask and you switch between things you know, where, where you're focused and you're doing it, you're in a situation where you just can't do it as fucking quick. Um, and that was when I came up with, because I had a few others I was going to talk to you about the one thing this week. I had loads of notes and all this thing planned out. And then it was like, when you said that to me, no, no, you're reading the wrong book. I was like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the worst it part is it's not even my week of choosing the book. <laughs> That's the crazy no, thing. It was book. your book choice. <laughs> Mate, it's also next week's book. I don't know what was wrong with me this week. I, 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 I bought next week's book and sent it to Martin's house in Manchester. And we live in fucking Weymouth. So I cock that up as well. I've just had a cock up week, I guess. Mate, me too. Don't worry about it. It happens. Must be something in, in the in the water. Um, cutthroat competition is destructive and uh, disruptive and focuses on rivalry, uh, forward slash survival versus value creation. So what this means, guys, is if you go into competition and you're trying to compete with everybody in the market and you're going into a red ocean, then you're in a situation where you're always thinking about comp being competitive you're always thinking about how to win rather than thinking how can i give the best value to my customers and forget what everyone else is doing so rivalry is actually really bad for a business and if you're going into a market then try and go into a market quietly where they don't know you exist and forget about rivalry don't look at them don't think about it just focus on what you're doing push forward totally yeah you see that with um i mean not even in business if you look at just the world in general World War Two in America, like the US in in World War Two, or even World War One, to be honest, is like they they don't get involved until they absolutely have to, um, and they've got like the America. I mean, they got they got attacked, didn't they? They got aggressed on. Yeah, they were kind of sort of on our team, but behind the scenes. But what happened? The British Empire collapses. Um, the European empires all collapse, and America moves in and is now the biggest empire in the world. So. It, it just shows how it's not even just business it's war it's everything like the competition does kind of mess with you and uh you end up trapped in a rivalry although sports i was thinking this like you know you watch a, a fight we're going back to mma again um you watch a fight and they say like oh you know these guys they had they fought each other like three or four times let's say brandon moreno style and uh they, they say you know these two guys they've made each other better like their rivalry has kind of made them better. Do you, do you think that there's a case for that? Do you think that that yeah, could you, happen? You, you, you're talking about a, a a a sport that's designed around them doing the exact same thing and trying to get to the top of. There's only one tree to climb. Mm -hmm. In business, there's there's multiple trees, and if you can climb the tree over here that's got all the branches, and it's going to get you to the same pinnacle um, as a business without having to fight three guys that are all trying to climb the same tree as you. Um, yeah. It kind of, it, it, I guess there is, but wh when you're in business, if you've got a ladder to the top and everyone else has got a fucking greasy pole uh, because they're all trying to fight each other to get there, then you're better off going up the ladder, becoming much, much bigger than they are 
in the background without them knowing and then crushing them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. This that this chap that chapter in the book really opened my eyes to that kind of stuff. I was before I kind of saw it before. I'd kind of like noticed that maybe competition because I'd always been under the impression that competition was good because it made people get better and rise to the occasion. It's it's good to have a competitor. Otherwise, we would never be able we would never innovate. Yeah, it is, but, in, it is in the fight game, but the fight game's kind of it's kind of on its own. Usually, not on its own, but sporting events and things like that where people are competing against one another for a prize that's kind of irrelevant. Oh, you got a gold medal, good for you. Whereas with a business, you're trying to create something that adds value to a community, a community of customers that are yours. So that competition can kind of stir your vision away from the benefits of your community, your tribe, your people that you're you're trying to help. And instead, make you selfishly do what you're doing just to piss off the competition instead yeah. of do what you're doing to keep them happy. So I don't think it applies as much in business. There are certain situations where it will apply in business, but in most situations, yeah. I think a business's main role is to add value to a customer no matter what. It's like if you, if you go to two, two bars next door to each other, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and they're competing on, oh, I'm going to do the cheapest drinks and I'm going to do the thingy this and I'm going to do the reduced complete, completely comp thing competing with one another to try and put the other one out of business whereas one just turned around and said you know what i'm only interested in a specific niche market and these specific people and everyone else can go fuck themselves and then they target their market completely around market because it's true if you mention your target market in your marketing your target market will come to you even if you're more expensive that's why Mm -hmm. young driver car insurance sells more younger driver car insurance than people who don't mention it that's why uh fucking these holidays where they say oh it's an 18 to 30s or it's 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 a it's a a 50 plus holiday uh, thing the 50 plus all go on it because you're mentioning them in the target market not because it's designed any better for a 50 plus person to go on than just on a normal all-inclusive holiday yeah mention your target market they will overpay and come to you so i I feel yeah you need to you know people need to figure out how to just cut out the competition and not worry so much about it yeah, um, I mean, you're in a race to the bottom, aren't you? Like those bars, you, that you said example about, you gave. Like, you said it last week about Magic Page plugin. Um, yeah. We've got <clears throat> the number one mass page. It's not even a mass page builder. It's a local marketing tool, but it's, it's got it's been thrown into the mass page tool. But we've got the number one mass page builder on the planet, right? There is no better one out there. It's the best. It does all the best shit. But when I first created it, I created it to build so that I could grow a business that I was I was creating and, and 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 all the features were added for the business. And when you said you were doing the search on on the websites the other day to see what articles were going to write to generate more traffic, we you you said that actually Magic Page Plugin gets more search than Mass Page Builder on the internet because we yeah. kind of created our own little environment of of people that are more interested in okay if you're going to do this style of business then you want to go and get Magic Page Plugin. You don't necessarily want to go and search for a Mass Page Builder because most of them don't know what the fuck you're talking about right exactly like rather than looking for search engines people just look for google yes so, exactly and that, and that that is the something that i noticed yeah the monopoly yeah. um uh, yeah my next note was actually a couple of examples of where i in from like my observations that right that rivalry and <clears throat> competition actually kind of ruined businesses or uh stuff like that so um one that did jump out of me that he mentions in the book is airlines. Um, like airlines screwed themselves over because there were so many airlines, they all started fighting with each other. And um, 
they they're trying to like bring the lowest prices and the lowest prices and then they just couldn't afford to stay running um, except for northwest which is an airline i think it's called northwest airlines is the what is one in the um in the u.s and basically, okay. what, what what their their guy that set up the, that airline said, right? We are the low fare airlines, right? So we're yeah. the cheapest airlines. So Ryanair, right? Yeah, but 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 like Ryanair is still always trying to give you something to eat on the flight, and they're trying to give you extra leg room. And they're trying, they, 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 what what they did in America is like, no, no, no. There's no frills. There's no bullshit. There's none of that stuff. We're going to cut costs to everything that we can, but we're going to make sure that you pay the least than anyone else. So you won't get a meal on the plane. You won't get extra leg room. You won't go. And I can't remember which. I think it was Simplify was the book I read about that in. But it's a similar situation, and they grew a monster business off the back of saying, "This is our target market. These are the people we're going to serve." Fuck everybody else. We know there's millions of people flying. When everyone else is fighting for the whole market, we'll have this target market of people that just want the low-cost airline and are not asked about any of these. Oh, well, I get a sausage on my flight with my burger and my thing. And it's like, yeah, they didn't give a fuck. They just said, you know what? With a low cost, if you don't like it, go and pay a fortune with someone else. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's helped. And that that is why you see those kind of airlines have kind of, they, they're honest about it. So they've actually ended up benefiting from the all the airlines just eating each other essentially which is yeah uh, the other ones i was thinking of um catching the mouse was the catchphrase of merlin entertainment who the guys that own thought park and like sea life centers and stuff like that um in the uk i don't know if they have any stuff overseas or whether they're just in the uk um i guess they have sea life centers in in like, australia and stuff so yeah but um i used to work at a local um merlin site and they would always talk about catching the mouse the mouse being uh disney and uh their whole thing was like how can we rival disney on everything that they do and um it, it happened like probably 10 10 years ago now but there was a horrific accident at a merlin park alton towers where i think a couple of people lost limbs on a roller coaster um and to me, I was just like, well, <laughs> that kind of makes sense because you were so busy trying to go after this other company and trying to beat them at everything they did. And, oh, they, they're doing this. We need this. We need films. We need to bring in like um, other intellectual properties, blah, blah, blah. Safety, the basic thing that people want and expect from theme parks was something that, that was ne neglected. And um, that's more that is more damning to their business than any like that than any like uh disney feature you know that that they could try and fancy going after disney D disney disney's got florida weather we've got rain what the fuck i know are gonna do? it seems ridiculous doesn't it i mean it, they're not necessarily competing with many people in the uk and they're not competing with disney in the uk but well, because they've built their own better the best one in the in the country because they're not necessarily going to the states anyway are they that's the point and it was so weird that that was their whole thing like let's catch the mouse like, let's go after disney it was like oh, but mate i guess it's great for ideas because they're the most innovative company yeah they are the most innovative aren't they or they, or they must be because they've been around for so long and they're still monstrous. yeah but they're very they're very diversified though aren't they like like i was saying about film properties and stuff like that it's like they have so many other things that like google can afford to compete with phone manufacturers like apple and and um the have other stuff looked... because they're just like fuck it we're the biggest search engine thing in the world like, ever... they're never going to beat us on that have you ever seen pictures of google uh, of, of disney films where they are where they put like fucking cock and balls and stuff like that inside the uh the, the... yes 
proper bad, yeah. aren't they? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. They use, like, how the fuck did they get away? But they There's some, like, animation stuff, like, in the sky in some of the some of yeah. the movies, like, some of the old That's ones. Long. I guess because it was, it was older, like, the quality control wasn't there as much, and they so were the just, like... So the like, I want to put... I'm gonna yeah, put just one frame. We'll just put a dick in the sky in one frame. That's all we'll do. Um, yeah, that's what, I mean, it's what I would do if I was there, to be honest. Like, it's kind of funny. Um, if you find and, any dicks on my website, it was Callum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just if you zoom out far enough, it's all just a giant dick. Um, <laughs> it's just dicks all the way down. Um, yeah, and the other one I was thinking of was um, less of just one like instance, but more of like a whole genre kind of got destroyed off the back of um, there was a game called World of Warcraft. Well, there still is a game called World of Warcraft. Um, it was like the most popular, most played game in the world at one point. Um, it was an uh, MMORPG, massively multiplayer online role-playing game. So you'd follow like a character around, you'd go kill some dragons and stuff like that. Um, and every game that was released in the MMORPG genre after World of Warcraft was titled The Next WoW Killer, or World of Warcraft being WoW. The Next WoW Killer was like the only thing that anyone ever cared about was like, how do we unseat these guys of being the best? Rather than like actually making something kind of like like unique or different they all just like, tried to like like grand theft auto did well yeah grand theft auto ended up doing uh probably becoming one of the biggest multi massively multiplayer role-playing games it started off as a single player game but they were like look let's let's make it a role-playing game where you can walk around with your gun online with a bunch of other people and it became huge so yeah i agree and they make so much money. Rockstar makes silly money off it. They have like in-game credit cards, which is essentially like cryptocurrency that you can like invest your actual money in. It's crazy. Really, really crazy. I'm ashamed um, to admit it, right? But I've got a mansion <laughs> yeah. with loads of fancy cars and everything. And I bet I've spent about 500 quid on, on, on them stupid things when I used to play it online when, when, I, was, when I, was, I was younger. I don't know if I logged in now. It'd still be there or gone. But um, yeah. Yeah, when it first came out, it was a bird's eye view one, and you had this guy who just walk around in circles shooting things, and it was pretty. Th but I remember that first coming out, and we, we were all in my brother's flat in uh, in Manchester, and it was like we were super addicted to this game. It was like this is amazing, and if they, it wasn't even the game that was amazing. If they'd have just made dots that did what that did, you wouldn't give a shit. But because it was told you that it was it was Grand Theft Auto, and you was this guy, you were stealing cars, and you were doing all, it kind of hooked you, and then they turned it into the, like the uh, did they call them two D. Um, yeah, where you were further down on that, and it kind of almost—it it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, they, they, it, it's a great game. It's brilliant. But right. my my yeah, basically the MMORPG genre doesn't really exist anymore because everyone tried to beat World of Warcraft, but they never really could, and there was no innovation because of that. And then World of Warcraft didn't have any real competition, so they ended up basically like trying to copy people that were not as good as them because they were kind of believing the hype on their own you know they were like well we can't innovate anymore because we've done everything we're like the front runners and the mind the, the, the brains behind it ended up checking out with the company so everyone was just trying to copy stuff that people were making to rival them and it ended up everyone had a shit product in the end um some of the four rules you mentioned in the book actually covers exactly what it is you're talking about now mark zuckerberg got it right with facebook and there's various other things that work small they work really well when they're small, but then they work even better when they get big or, or they continue to work just as well as they get bigger. Because what happens with a lot of products, especially digital products, is they're great when there's 500 people using them. But as soon as they get 500,000 people on there, 
everything starts to fall apart and it doesn't yeah. fit the same, doesn't work the same. And I think that's what what uh, what some of these games get right is that it works great if only 10 people are playing it because of the way they pull the communities together. But if there's 10,000 people playing it, it becomes there's this too much um, and, it, and it doesn't. Right, I'm going to fly through some of these quotes now because we've spent nearly two hours chatting and uh, I'd like to keep these down to about two hours if we can. Let's do so, it. Innovative monopolies like Google earn their standing through unmatched performance, gaining resources for benevolence and long... Is this one of yours? No, it's not. <laughs> I can't I believe you wrote this one. You've written benevolence. Mate, I, I didn't write this. I, was, I, didn't, okay. I didn't put that in, next. I'm afraid. I didn't either, so let's, let's go to the next and just delete that one from the back end. Get rid of um, I didn't write this one either. Yeah, this one's fine. So this was talking about uh, a secret. Um, so to to like innovate, people need to discover a secret, right? They they talk about that in in business. There are there are like truths out there that you know only some people believe are real, and other people don't believe that they're real. And if you can actually discover that, prove that it's real, and market it to people, um, it will take off. But um, I think people are at the moment a kind of they have this thing, which I've written down, too late to explore the world, too early to explore the galaxy. They live in a world with no secrets. People, I think, probably governments, I'm so political today, probably governments prefer it to be, prefer their, the people to believe that there are no secrets, really, and that they have all the answers or that someone has the answers. So don't freak out. Don't go out looking for these things yourself. It's fine. Everything's under control. Um, and... I think people have got into this mindset like, well, you know, we're not in the age of exploration anymore. We're not going to Australia. We're not like trying to find a North America. Um, and we're too, we're not technologically developed enough to go to Mars or whatever yet and explore space. So there, you know, everything's everything that w everything that could have been found has been found already. So what's the point in looking for new things? And I think that's the difference between, entrepreneur uh, people who are real entrepreneurs that have like game-changing startups and people that are uh not yeah that aren't going to be able to think about that yeah then they're not willing to entertain that kind of thought i don't know what your thoughts are on the secrets chapter um, um i think i've put some in a little bit later but I, th I yeah i mean i think i think a business needs a secret um and they need a secret that kind of they skirt around and they almost almost reveal to, to 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 people which keeps them interested um but that's only if you're creating something that's innovative it's not it's not for any standard business so if you're creating something like like spacex for example people like he says he can get to mars and we can colonize mars and we can do and it's like nobody knows how and he probably doesn't know how he's probably just saying it from a marketing perspective because he's selling the future and he's yeah. like i've got this secret of how we can get to and colonize Mars in my lifetime, but has he or is he just talking shit to keep people interested? Yeah. So yeah, I, I guess, definitely. And it's drip feeding. Like as the tech comes in, he's drip feeding the, you know, the innovation of course in the SpaceX rockets is that um, they're reusable, which obviously rockets weren't before. You basically flew them up, and then you flew. They they came back and crashed, but now his rockets can land, can't they? So that's like. Can they they believe that that's like the next step. I don't know if he's successfully landing them. Um, mm. I don't not know definitely not with people in. 
Yeah, I've fuck knows. I don't. I've not paid that much attention to that. As long as injustices and inefficiencies exist, there are secrets to uncover. Consider what potentially valuable company r- remains unbilt. So this is one of mine. Mm-hmm. And, and and I guess it's 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 basically saying to people, look at look at what's in. It, I was saying it earlier. Look at what's in your community. Look at what's in your area. Look at what's in your town, your city. Don't try and say, okay, what's not been created on a worldwide basis yet. Think about something close to home. Because if you live in a, a a if you live in a countryside village, for example, right, and in that countryside village, it's missing quite a lot of things that you that nobody in a major city is ever going to think of, and nobody yet in that town or that village or, or that that small area is thought of yet. You, you could first monopolize your own little small town village, but once you know and it works and it's 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 something that all these little countryside villages need, that's when you can start to spread across the country. So, so look for things that in, in areas where people are not yet like 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 a lot of big businesses won't give a shit about a, a, a small countryside villages that's got 200 people in it because they'll be thinking to themselves well there's not the population there's not the people so they won't invest massively into it but you create it in, in a vacuum and then keep it in a vacuum whilst in the blue ocean strategy style until you're ready to then start spreading across i think a great example would have been uh, mr walton he created walmart um, he did it in one place. He did it small. He started out big. He, apparently, there's a few things he got done for him. Like there was a twenty grand thing that got put on there, and somebody did a deal for him, which was his father, who did a deal to get him a long term lease, which hadn't been done before. And then he uh, he basically built the first Walmart, and he, and he started out with one, and then eventually, once it was done and it was ready, and knew it working, he knew all the rules. He spread like a motherfucker and. Look where we are now. He owns Asda in the UK. He owns Walmart and various other stuff all over the world. Oh, he doesn't because he's yeah. dead. But you know what I mean. It's the same situation. Yeah, the property still exists exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, so I think I think that's it. People think everything's been discovered, but there are a lot of areas where a lot of these things that are, are super helpful using current technology, but create something a new opportunity for people in an environment where it's no nobody's yet done it, and and you can you could create something amazing. Um, Absolutely. But, the first year, two years, might be very, very small, not make a lot of money. You might actually be running at a loss. But once, you, if you can see the big picture, if you've got a mission in your head and you know where you want to take it, I think that's when when you know that. Like 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 um, Jeff Bezos built built. He, he created um, Amazon to sell books because there was thousands and thousands of different versions, but they were all they'd all fit for a letterbox. So so distribution was easy. So he wanted to build a distribution network and and and, and he could outsell any any other bookstore because he could store way more books than any normal bookstore could. So he had all the different ones and all the um all all the um rare ones and everything else he could source from all over the world. So he ended up being the biggest bookstore in the world. And apparently they said that he's not a bookstore. He was an online shop, um, which was an argument that that, that promoted even more uh, viral, but, but the word Amazon, then he moved into software and he moved into all sorts of other different types of stuff that were digital selling on Amazon before he eventually became the world's local shop. Yeah. Um, everything starts small. Yeah. In fact, Pretty there's cool. a quote in the book that says every, every billion dollar business started as, as, a, as, as, as an entrepreneur's like one man band. Every every billion dollar company started as as one man trying to achieve something that only he could see. Yeah, started well, it started as an idea as well. So people like that if if it's not doesn't come naturally to you to think about that kind of to try and find those gaps in the markets to think about these kind of secrets, um, then it's just a mindset change, really, isn't it? That that you can implement by discovering sort of a 
but once once you read something like this you're like oh, okay now i see how important that is and you can change your mindset and then you'll start looking for it and the more you look for it you'll find it if you're not looking for it you won't it's all about put it's all about being single mind focused and just focused on what it is you, what you want to achieve uh, discover truths about individuals and our environment consider this is kind of what i've just been saying but in a very posh way of saying it are there key areas yet to be standardized or institutionalized and the reason i mentioned small towns and small villages and places like that because there's a lot of stuff that could be improved massively that the people who are focused on the big cities are not yet even considering doing um in these smaller areas and if you was the first one to do it to grow exponentially is quite could be quite easy uh when you share your secret, this 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 was, I think this is almost word for word out of the book. When you share your secret, you are recruiting conspirators. Um, and it says do it with discretion. I, I love this. Is, yeah, really yes. cool. Yes, and basically what it is, is you've got an idea. So you're kind of building a culture like these these mad guys that get thousands of people to follow them to the jungle and kill themselves. Um, <laughs> and you're kind of building a recru recruiting a culture of belief, of people yeah. who believe in your mission. But I think, to make anything like this relevant to, to, to a large group of people, you must have a mission. You must have a goal. Like if, if, if I had one mission with my company where it was like, right, okay, we have to do this and this, and this is what we work towards every single day. Every single person that joined us would understand the mission and would understand the goals and would understand where we're trying to go and everything else. We haven't, um, which is because we're very, very relaxed about what we do. But if I wanted to grow a multi-billion dollar company, then I would find one goal, target one achievement, I'd push towards that every single day, and every single person would, would ask themselves the question, is what you're doing right now taking us any closer to that goal? Because if it isn't, stop fucking doing it and find something to do that actually is pushing us towards that one goal. Um, and I think that's yeah. kind of what, what this is. You're recruiting people that understand the company's ethos and, and, and what the company's trying to achieve. Yeah, and if you don't do that, then you you run the risk of being destroyed from within, which happens quite a lot to these big companies. They end up, you know, something happens in the market. It's small suddenly... as well. Yeah, small yeah, yeah. Like oh, but it probably happens to small companies more often because the staff take the piss because the 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 top down management is not rigid enough. Yeah, and because that if it's not a big company, they can't just replace them afford really it. easily. They can't afford yeah. to just yeah. Master the end game. We, we, this is something we've been talking about all day as well. Begin with a small niche, scale up, and ultimately reap years of monopoly profit. So what we're saying is start small, perfect it, make all your mistakes while you're little and you're small, and, and you can and be, don't try and spread too quickly or, or try and grow. Don't try and go this way. What do you call it? What's that way called again? Horizontal. Don't try and spread horizontally until you've spread it as, as become as perfect, perfect as you can going vertically. So build it, create the thing, do the one thing right, get it built to a point where it's, um, it's 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 absolutely smashing it before you would then start trying to spread cross country. We yeah. call it spread like a wave in the hybrid lead generation business model. If anyone's interested in watching that training course, um, <laughs> ask if your business will still be around ten years from now. This 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 kind of um, this this goes back to a different book that I read ages ago. And it was Jeff Bezos. Somebody asked him, um, "What, what, what do you think? What, what, what do you think is going to be the most popular thing next year, or the year after, or, or the year before?" And it was, it was, it's like a Jeff Bezos quote. And he basically said, "That's my worst question. I hate that question." He said, "Because, because just because it's going to be popular next year, I'm asking what's no, not going to change for the next ten to fifteen years. If it's yeah. not going to change, then you've got you can have a long term strategy. Like I think Igor did it in his book." 
about email marketing and he said it in his book. Um, and it's like emails not changed since the late 1980s and it's yeah. not going to change in the next 15 years. It's always been the medium of exchange and it's in, in, integrated now massively into so many different businesses um, that it, kind of the weight of changing email is almost impossible. Yeah, um, you would only trying, change the... Yeah, the you, you'd only be able to like... Shit. Go on, sorry. You'd only be able to change how email functions within like... Yep. Within businesses, the email as a as a thing will exist for you know forever probably. <laughs> like that's why email marketing and and building an email list is still probably the most profitable thing you can do with it with a business. Is is every time you get a customer and you should be trying to get them onto, onto your email. So if you go over to moreleadslocal.com, see how I pitched my website. Oh, look at this. Let's go. It's almost impossible for you to contact us as an agency to do work for you. And what the reason we do that is we want to do an audit of your website to make sure that you're actually not just coming to us and you're brand new startup and, and, and you want someone who's going to hold your hand through the first 100K a year. Um, we want you to have a website and and, and then you, you do an audit, which also adds you onto our email list, which builds an email list, which means I then have traffic that I own and I can market to you on an ongoing basis. And a lot of people will be like, that's stupid. You want them to phone you so you can get them and sign them up as it, but you don't. You want these people to go through and you want a process in place when you've got a business that qualifies your customers before you start doing business with them so you're not wasting all your time with customers who are potentially never going to give you any money or never going to become clients. So you want them to follow through a process before you ever put any time into or effort in. And if you set someone up like we do an SEO audit for any website, we do that because it enables us to find the, the customers that we actually want over the customers who are just looking for advice of like, how do I get started? How do I build a website? What's, we don't want those type of customers. And I know it's, it's, it's kind of thingy to say it, but because they take up more time and they don't make any money. Yeah. Like it. Right. This is this, right. So, so, so the next four things are, are the key, the keys of the whole book, right? So I'm going to go through these, these, these four elements. So these are the four, um, what would you call characteristics of monopolies? They called them in the book, didn't they? Yeah. How the fuck did I read all this? And I know what I'm talking about. Characteristics of monopolies. So this one that I'm about to read out now and the next three after it are, are the most important things to learn. So if, you, if you're desperate and you want to build out a business and you want to create some sort of monopoly, proprietary technology. So your tech needs to outperform, okay, uh, outperform substitutes by at least tenfold in crucial aspects. Like Google did in search, like um, ChatGPT did to all the other uh, ch chatbots out there. It like, like turned them into like they're, they're just completely useless. So basically, you want to look at it and say, all right, what already exists? How can I make something that's ten times better? Or, in my opinion, something that makes people's lives so 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 much easier than than, than they're already doing now. So yeah. proprietary technology. You want to build something that's really difficult for people to copy, for people to rip off. That's kind of your secret your secret sauce, proprietary technology. You got anything you want to say about that one before we move on to the next one? No, just if we're talking about like uh, the tech outperforming the substitutes and also like making people's lives easier, PayPal was a good example of this because it was on its own. PayPal wasn't really, it didn't have like a, you know, there wasn't really any use for it on its own at the time of its creation, but it was made to help people's, help people on ebay so it was like attached to it, it wasn't you know they were struggling at first and they, they they was trying to make sales and they couldn't make sales and they were really thinking and then they then that's when they pitched it to ebay 
and they went off, off they had a few thousand supercellers so they had a few thousand people using it within a matter yeah. of months. yeah so it, but it but it, the whole they they found the niche for it eventually was to help people's to help ease of access on on ebay so no one had to send checks through the mail anymore um and yeah and then after that once you're you know in bed with the best uh like the the main at the time ebay was like the number one online Auction marketplace site. yeah um it's very hard for someone to to outperform you there do you think paypal would have made it if the ebay didn't exist i, I guess that doesn't matter does it Maybe, uh, I don't know if they would have made it straight. Uh, I don't think they would have made it at the same time that they did. Perhaps it would have been something that they needed to do in the future. Because especially with like how, you know, now that alternative currency is becoming quite big with like crypto and stuff like that, I think a service like PayPal. Do you know what I mean? Online shopping. Yeah. Having like a wallet, a separate wallet, which is basically how I use PayPal is... um. Yeah, good. So I think maybe it, it was before its time in that respect. Yeah. Which is basically vertical progress. Yeah. Again, zero to one. Okay, so proprietary technology. The second one is network effects, right? This is super powerful if you understand it. Your product's value should increase with user growth, yet remain beneficial to early adopters. So basically, a great example of this was, was Facebook. Facebook was designed for a small amount of people in a college where he could, I'm not sure if it was to rate women or some shit like that, but yeah. uh, basically it, it started almost out. almost like a dating app, wasn't it? Pretty much. It, yeah, was, and it, was like, it was pretty much a dating site. Single or not single was his, was his feature that exploited. But if there was a hundred people on there, then everybody could chat and have fun and they all knew each other and it kept it close and local and, and like a small community. And then as the community grew and grew and grew, it's it, the, the value remained the same. You could still keep contact with all your small group that were already in there at the beginning, but as additional colleges it actually helped grow your friend circle and things like that. So your product should, should increase the user growth yet remain beneficial to early adopters. So, so basically if you find something that works small, but can be scaled, don't look at it and think to yourself, okay, once we get past 500 users, this is fucked. Cause then you're kind of never going to get a monopoly because, because, because growth obviously, and then the future growth of, 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 of a software product is very, very, very important. So if you mm -hmm. get something where everybody's sharing server space or everybody's sharing resources of some sort, then it becomes very, very difficult to scale um, when the resource or the space or something is limited. So make sure that you build some uh, that's, that's network effects, basically. Yeah. So the more people that use the product, the more useful it should be becoming. Basically. Yes, it doesn't. Yeah, we kind of moved on to the next point as well a little bit there while I was talking. But yeah, your network effects is literally, it's great if there's only 50 people on there and they all still love it and they'll come back every day. But once it gets to 500,000 people, it's still just as good. That's kind yeah. of, look at that, ask that question. Facebook's so clever because of the, like the, um, the way that it's kind of the, how it was targeted um, college students. And then, but college students, are they move away from home in order to go to college and all of their friends brothers who created it were geniuses weren't they yeah it's 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 just an awesome thing it's so smart and and like obviously then their audience is going to go back to their hometowns and meet up with all of their friends who are at other colleges and then just spread it like that it's genius it spreads like the plague 
very clever. I was saying this to someone the other day. This has changed the way dating works as well. Not just this, but dating apps. Like people mm-hmm. back in the day when, when I was growing up, before we had the internet and all that stuff, people would always date within their friend circles. So most people growing up through school had dated everybody in their friend circles. And what I'm noticing now more, more is people have a friend circle of men and women and none of them ever date each other because they all date outside of the friend circle. And, and, and some do, obviously, but they maintain the friend circle separate to their dating life, which is where they go onto the apps and they go and find these dates in different yeah. places, which obviously when, when dating apps first came out, people were like, fuck that, I'm not going on a dating app. I'll go to the pub and meet a bird. But nowadays, yeah. it's, it, it's completely different. It's made everything really, really hyper-competitive as well with, with dating apps because it's not, you know, like you said, in a friend, in a friend group, like the, let's say the, the girls in that group, they're only really exposed to or hanging out with guys from that group. Um, so ugly so guys can get hot if girlfriends. If you're the best looking guy in that group, you are, you've accidentally become in the top percentage of guys that this girl knows. But now this girl knows every guy in a radius that she can set on her phone and they all look their very best because they're on this, uh, Dang, competition so competition has made it really really hard apparently like like two percent of the guys get like a massive share it's like 80 20 i guess it's like a tiny percentage of men on dating apps get a huge amount of the matches and and dates seriously yeah yeah wow it's like a totally different experience between men and women the girls i've spoken to the are... personality can't get you laid can it because because like like in the real world if, if, if a super hot looking guy walks in a room and all the girls are like, oh, check him out. He's absolutely stunning. But he's a proper boring bastard. Nobody's ever going to mm-hmm. look. They're going to be like, yeah, but he's a total fucking bore. And then you've got the guy, the 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 the, the, the little ugly guy sat at the bar. He's super funny and he's got everyone laughing. And he's, people are going to resonate towards him more than the guy that's walked in and, oh, look at my square jaw. I love myself. I'm not taking the piss out of your square jaw. But, <laughs> but but you get what i'm saying that that type of personality i guess you can't get that across on a dating well, app, can you? yeah they that kind of personality gets punished a bit because especially as well people who aren't as comfortable with communicating through messenger so that's also people who have um like things like dyslexia for example they say that using poor grammar and punctuation on dating apps is it negatively affects your um thing so if all your com- conversations with would be romantic interests is done through like a written medium if you're dyslexic it doesn't matter how like <laughs> attractive you are you've kind of you're at a disadvantage there so that's pretty rough i think i think that's i don't like... think i i don't know if i'm just old-fashioned i don't think i'd ever go on a dating app but then again i guess if i'd been on my own for five years and maybe i would yeah, I think there comes a point where you're just like, oh, fuck it. You know? <laughs> like, it's yeah. not going to hurt. Seriously like, lonely, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess I've never been on my own, so I wouldn't know. So, so I'm kind of, I guess, yeah, I probably would. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It's strange how it, how, it, how it works out with these things. You end up having all these weird, like, sort of almost friendship slash romantic kind of connections to, like, a, a lot of people because you end up, messaging with them and if you you know the next step from messaging is you go to social media so you're a little more sort of acquainted with each other yeah, and then i i don't think i would me do you know what i'd probably do if i was in a situation where i'd been on my own a long time and it was like right i want to get i want to get with somebody i'd probably figure out how to build a business around the situation which ended up with me meeting a lot of people who were who had the same interests without actually having to 
swipe and all that shit that they do nowadays. I think I'd, I'd build a business around it. I would, because then I'd be like, right, I've got a reason to build this, this company because I want to actually meet somebody, but I want to meet somebody who's got the same interests and the same likes and the same dislikes. And I want to be able to sit down and have a meaningful conversation with them where there's no pressure for me to feel like, Oh my God, does she think I'm fucking ugly? And you know, that shit, I just, ah, well, I think think I'd treat it like business. Work is one of that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, work is one of the main places people would meet their significant others as well. Right. I guess now sort of home office remote work has is kind of against that but that's still one of the places but the other thing that's against that is workplace harassment rules and stuff like that and i'm not saying that you should go out and harass people in your workplace it's just that uh, i know that for a fact a lot of men feel like men that don't have bad intentions i mean like not assholes but people who are harassing women in their workplace are, are douchebags um but if they were Let's say, um, are you good? Can you... Yeah, sorry, me. My headphones started playing these funny sounds, so I just. Put oh, them okay. On. Now I can hear you again. Um, but yeah, they're less likely to approach a woman at their workplace because they're like, well, one, I don't want to lose my job or get in trouble, and the the other thing is like, I don't want this girl to report me for harassing her at work, even if that's not my intention. I just wanted to get to know her. Um, you know that I run the risk of doing that, so I'm just not going to do it. And then, you know, a, a woman I had a is statistically less likely I, to make the first I had moves. A mate so. who started banging his, uh, his PA, right? And, he, and, he, and he's shagging his PA, and I was like, mate, you fucking idiot. I was like, and he's like, nah, nah, she's good. She does this, and she does all this for me. She, I was like, mate, you're her fucking boss. If you think about mm-hmm. it, it's 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 a it's a master servant relationship, even though you don't realize it. It's kind of like you, your job is to tell them what to do. Their job is to do what they're told because they get paid for it. I said, mm. as soon as you start building a relationship and you meet the real person, you're going to realize that <laughs> that shit's going to change. And he fucking he yeah. regretted it like a motherfucker. And um, yeah, and, and 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 I remember saying to him right at the outset, it's like I've got some friends who who get with young girls, like 19, 20, 22, 23, 24, and they're my age. And I'm mm. always like to him, are you fucking stupid? Then they're going to be changing your nappy when they're in their 40s and you're, you're, you're old as shit. It's like, well, what do you expect them to do? Think about the future. Think long term. You know, they yeah. might not wait now, but that doesn't matter if you, especially now you're forty. Anyway, I, yeah. I, I have very specific opinions about shit like that. Me, like like banging in the office and things like that. I think it's, I think it's very, very, very short sighted. And I think it's yeah, it's not, it's not a long term plan. No, and and as soon as that that relationship that diversity changes, because you never meet a real person if they work for you, right? Whereas as if you build a relationship with them after um you meet the real person and all of a sudden you're on the level pegging all of a sudden it's like fucking hell they're not the same person i thought they actually was and it's like no they're not it's 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 bullshit it, it I, doesn't that can even happen to a point with um friendships at work in workplace this is why it's really important that um like the culture in an they talk about office culture a little later on i'm, I'm sure we have some notes on it but like um the yeah like it's important to have like a shared culture so that everyone kind of agrees because like if you meet people outside of work and lots of people now are like yeah office culture is good if we go out and have meals together and we go for drinks and everyone gets to know each other really well like then that can change the dynamics in a workplace like if someone's like they might be in like a role with less responsibilities but in outside of work they're a very charismatic like um person that's a natural leader 
then that can cause a bit of a, a stir because then people start feeling weird about telling them what to do. Maybe they don't want to be told what to do after they've met these other people and realize that they're all a bunch of sheep and they actually just have. So yeah, that can, that can change things a lot. I think. Um, yeah. It's, it's, we're lucky. It's yeah. dodgy ground anyway. Right. So proprietary technology network effects. The third one is economies of scale. As you scale, with more users slash sales, the cost of an additional unit should approach zero, meaning you're not increasing the costs of, of acquiring customers as you grow, but what you should be doing is reducing the cost per customer as you grow, which, which technology is brilliant for that because I think the reason I got into software in the first place was I, I had a locksmith company for years and every single customer, they paid you once and then you was constantly marketing and constantly chasing the next customer. And, and we got to like 600 guys, subbies on a national basis working for us. But that's because we got really fucking good at marketing. If we weren't really, really good at marketing and we weren't always at the top of Google as a locksmith, you're never going to get any business. But in every, 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 it's like a single serving customer. So every single customer, they, 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 they buy once and they might spend a hundred or 200 or 300 or 500 with you, but then you've got to find your next customer, your next customer, your next, and every single month you start again from zero and you're back on the thing. Whereas with software, you can build it once and you've got a product you can sell forever. And if you can build a product that you can sell on a subscription basis, I, I love low, low ticket subscriptions because then each person, the lifetime value of every single customer becomes way, way, way more because people stick. So after a year of selling a lot, let's say, let's say I'm, I'm selling $29.99 a month subscription, right? The, 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 at the beginning, people are going to, your business, you're going to be like, now nah, we need to get a customer in for $30 because we cost and thinking. But after a year, you can look at your stats and say to yourself, actually, my lifetime value of a customer, okay, is, is an average of, of, Let's say it's it's fucking hundred and fifty dollars. So so they stick around for five months on average. Then you know you can go and spend a hundred dollars to acquire a customer or hundred pounds, depends if you're doing it in the UK or US. Knowing full well you're still going to make fifty dollar profit on that put on that customer, and then you can grow a business off the back of that. So it looks like you you're working at a loss, but you're not. You're working at a profit because you know your numbers over the first twelve months, and that's why a lot of businesses don't grow super fast in the first one or two years because they're in a situation where when they're first trying to grow. They don't know their numbers, so they can't really invest the amount that they need to invest to acquire a customer. So they have to grow much slower until they can say, okay, each customer's worth 150. I know now I can spend $100 to bring in a customer. And, the, and they're cool because they know they're, they're, they're one and a half times in the money every time they, they spend $100 to make 150 back. It might take six months to get five or six months to get there, but they know that if we can afford to spend a million dollars in the next six months, but, but then after six months, that's going to have brought in 1.5. So then mm -hmm. what you do, you put 1.5 back in and all of a sudden you've got 2.25 and so on and so forth. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the value of your, the value of your company is the, some of its future profits, not yes. what what's happening right now. Um, and yeah, that's something that he speaks about a lot in the book, I guess, being a very important who's into venture capital and stuff like that. It's a pretty you big deal. You've heard me say all the time, I don't give a shit about the upfront fee that we charge a, a, a client. I give a shit oh, about absolutely. the monthly subscription income that, yeah. the, because the upfront fees bring in cash, but the monthly subscription income builds a business, builds a future. It builds something where you can rely on, okay, we've got 100,000 a month coming in from these particular batch of clients paying us this much every single month. We don't necessarily then need to think to ourselves, right, I'm going to go on holiday for six months. My team's going to manage the clients we've got. We've not got any new business coming in. We've got a churn rate of, say, 10% over, over or 15, 20% over a two over a two over a 12-month period. I then know that I can look at my thing and think I'm going to lose 20% of my clients in the next 12 months. So if I take 
six months off, I've only lost 10% of my income because I know I've got all this monthly subscription income coming in and you can chill out and the stress disappears and you've got no, no, no future problems with your business. So doing it that way works really, really, really well. And when I'm doing a, doing odd bits of coaching and stuff like that that I actually do, this, this is kind of one of the biggest things I always try and push is like, how can we turn your business into something that charges a monthly subscription over a one-time fee because those monthly subscriptions build a business and more than anything else, that that financial stability that you get from those monthly subscriptions stops all stress. You no longer yeah. have any stress. I know I can, freedom. I can go home now for a year. I know full well my business will still be making money. My business will still be generating an income and all that other stuff. Whereas when I was a locksmith and I had all these locksmiths working for me, the first of every month, it's like, all right, we've done 48 grand this month. Brilliant. First of the next month, it's like, shit, man, I've got to start again now. All the same overheads, all the same shit. And I've got to start marketing again like crazy. And it was a mm-hmm. constant cycle of stress. Whereas it's like, like you do jujitsu. Your jujitsu coach doesn't need to stress or worry about money because he knows... I've got two, three, four hundred, five hundred subscribers that pay me every single month this amount of money, whether they show up or they don't show up, whether they're benefiting from it or whether they're not. And that is a stress fee free living, as opposed to if you paid every time you went to the door, it's like, okay, you just pay five or every time you come. Uh-huh. Then it's like, shit, how do we keep filling the place up and make sure they come back every single month? Because because if we don't, we can't afford to keep the lights on. Uh, yeah, so it's, exactly. It's, that subscription income is very, very important. And the economies of scale like this, is I guess I've gone a bit too far with this one, but basically, so we started proprietary technology, build something that nobody else can copy or haven't got. Um, network effects, your product's value should increase with the user growth. So the more people you get, the more value it brings to the community. Uh, economies of scale, as you scale, more users slash sales, the cost of the additional unit should approach zero, meaning it's costing you less every time you bring on a new customer. Um, a good example would be like your jujitsu coach. If every time, I br- because he's good at what he does and he teaches well and people like learning, he'll spread via word of mouth rather than mm-hmm. having to pay for advertising every time somebody comes in. Um, and then finally, branding. Build a powerful brand bolstered by other features. What do I mean by that? Other features, other characteristics. So your brand is 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 basically... It's your flagship. People know you for your brand as the only person that provides X. Can't be replicated. It's got to be a unique thing. Then the next one I put in was, and we talked about this earlier, you must have a mission directed at one goal. So if you want to build a community, you want to build a team, you want to build a a, a culture in, in, in an environment, you must have a mission and everybody who works for you must know our mission is this. And it can't be something like our mission is to make a million dollars because that's just fucking ridiculous. Our yeah. mission is to do this for this type of person, which makes their life better because of this or something along those lines that actually just helps your specific community and grows your business that way. Yeah, love it. Yeah, and I mean that's that's I think that's something that even if you're not necessarily interested in 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 building a, a business and you just want to improve yourself, I think that, that this is another thing that's really important. Just are these are these all mine? These next ones. Mind. Yeah, I thought most of my notes came in at the at the beginning. Your notes this week, you were killing it with notes. Wait, it's because I read it. Absolutely. I read the book last you were, night. You were writing nine. shit like benevolence. No, mate. I, when I write them and then I put them in Chat GPT and say, write this and make it more, more professional. Ah, okay, so that makes sense. Like that. I thought like after ten p.m., you just become like 
No, 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 yeah, no, no. That's no, Savant. No. <laughs> I, get, I, get, I write it how I think it, then I put it in ChatGPT and, and say, write this, make it shorter and make it more professional so that it comes out better. So scaling up, and then make sure it makes sense. Scale up. After dominating niche, gradually venture into related wider markets. In other words, start by building up so you've got a perfect one business and then yep. start to spread further afield as you grow. Yeah, um, those are like, you can afford to start competing with people when you have your own thing that's yep. winning no matter what. And then you can be like, okay, I can afford to like get into this whatever market or, you know, to... Oh, you just stay in the same market and spread like Subway did. Yep. Like KFC did, like uh, McDonald's has done, like like a lot of these businesses that... See how it's all food yep. that I'm talking about? That's because I fast during the morning and I get hungry about <laughs> two o'clock. Yeah, uh, I've been drinking coffee and it's starting to make me hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, the next one. Um, right, we've done that one. Don't disrupt. Okay. Rather than directly challenging giants, innovate, grow steadily and evade competition. So what, what, what this means is uh, don't pick a fight until you're big enough to win. Um, yeah. Yep, if you, you walked into a new school and you thought, fucking hell, that, that guy over there is massive. You're not going to walk up and punch him in the face. You're probably going to get friends with a lot of other guys that can handle themselves first, and then you take him on with six mates. <laughs> it's the same situation in business, yeah? Don't, don't, don't go taking on the Giants because they will literally crush you because all they have to do is open up one court case against you that you can't afford to, to fight and then keep sending you to court, to court, to court until eventually you're like, oh, fuck, I've run out of money. And then they're like, yep, and then we're going to buy your business up or we're going to crush it and, and totally disappear. So... Keep your cards to your chest. Don't be a dick with other big businesses until you can afford to be a dick with those businesses and take them on. Usually it's better to get bigger before you start being being a dick. Exactly. Hire dedicated individuals, assign right. So this is this is something I struggle with. And the reason I put this in is hire dedicated individuals, assign singular responsibilities, and foster a cult-like commitment. This is something I'm trying to push towards with our guys at the minute, saying I want specific roles, specific people. When we bring yes. in new people, they have a specific job role. But I'm kind of leaving that to you and George to figure out um the dynamics of who does what and how because <laughs> I'm terrible. Yeah. Well, we have the we have the luxury of not having many people. Um, yep. in this particular office at the moment. So it's, uh, you know, we, it, right now it's hard to just have singular responsibilities, but, you know, it's almost like we'll offload our singular, yep. single tasks off to people that come in and they'll just have single responsibilities. So whatever I think gets, from... Whatever makes you guys think this, I'm sick of doing this every day. They're, they're the jobs we're bringing in. Yeah, uh, right. We need someone else to go on the podcast. <laughs> Callum hates it now. <laughs> No, it's just reading. It's fine. I'll get someone to do my notes for me and I'll be, I'll come on. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I love it. It's the best part of my week. Um, it's August. Oh, yeah. Every, if, if everybody watching remembers, Callum's promised us by the end of August, he will have a first draft of his book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I kind of changed what my book was going to be halfway through this this time it, as well. So it's this been... is what I wanted to. Um when i read the one thing i wanted to talk to you about like where are you at with your book because the one thing would have been the perfect book for you to actually that would have got you motivated re-motivated again to be like okay this is the most important thing i'm doing right now in my life over everything else you're doing the most important thing is that one thing is he's writing that book because that one thing is the one thing that five ten years from now could have paid your house your car and everything else off and have you living a life of luxury without actually doing the work because you've already done it that's so true just to make you feel like shit for not for not putting as much effort in as you should have on your book. Does, doesn't make me feel like shit. Sometimes you can do writing without a pen Without paper. writing, you were going to say then, weren't you? Yeah, I think yeah, you yeah. can write without writing. There That's are things that I've... There, there are, yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. Hold <laughs> on. No, no, I, I, I stand by that. I think it's absolutely true. Like, uh -huh. I think that there are there's 
obviously naturally there's a time that comes where you the, the rubber meets the road like you actually have to get into it and actually start writing stuff down definitely 100 percent. but my my point is that out of the stuff that i've written down i'm like okay i like this i don't like that and then you you spend time by just living <laughs> living your life and existing and having experiences that you then formulate new thoughts that you can bring to the things you've already written down and change those into new ideas and make them better so it's not always about just like grinding a you know grinding something out that you're not happy with you you can you can do that but you also need to spend time away thinking about it and formulating a, a i did it on sunday mission. i went to sleep on sunday night and i dreamt about a training course that i hadn't yet created and i woke up on monday about five o'clock on monday morning we were away in that place with the swimming pool and all that stuff that we were, I was talking to you about with the infinity pool, not infinity, Wicked. you know, them pools that you can swim forever. Um, anyway, <laughs> I uh, know the ones. I woke up on Monday morning um, and, I, and I knew this, this training course from start to finish. And I thought, well, I've not done any training for my, my team, for my, my guys for ages. So I literally got up, created a checklist off the back of it, sent out an email and said, I'm going to do a training on Wednesday. And over 500 people signed up to come and join the training. And I think about 225 people turned up live. After two hours, there were still 145, 155 people still in the room. That's pretty cool. That's and I good. dreamt it, so I wrote it without writing. <laughs> there we go. See, I'm not crazy. I'm not making excuses, but I, I, I really should get back to writing. Um, this is mega important, right? Um, and you can tell I've actually written this one um, without actually ChatGPT because it's got lots of capital letters in the wrong places. Select the optimal sales channel and ensure your customer lifetime value exceeds your customer acquisition costs. Right. So basically, with, with, with this, obviously, you can't do this straight out of the gate if you're doing a low ticket monthly subscription business. But if you know people stick around for 12 months and you're charging five a month, you know, then it's comfortable. You can comfortably spend $50 sign up um, and you're going to make $10 profit each year per, per customer. And then if it carries on into year two, three, four and five, you end up rich out of your mind. So basically, um, a lot of people, when they build something, they think, oh, I've built the best tool in the world. It's going to sell. It's going to make me loads of money. It's going to do this. Sales are just as important as um, as the product itself. In fact, in some cases, more important. I know people who sell products on shitty sites like JVZoo and they bring out something that's absolutely crap and they make millions off it because their sales strategy and their marketing is nailed down perfectly. So they can market the crap out of this product and then anyone who asks for a refund, they give them a refund because they're selling so many so quick. Most people won't even bother asking for a refund and in some cases they'll carry on paying. So... Your, your sales channel, even though people hate sales and they hate having to sell, being able to sell something uh, and finding the target market and going after it correctly with a decent marketing strategy is just as important as the product you create. I mean, it's nice. like 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 we've used the jujitsu example, right? If, if, if I was a terrible jujitsu teacher, mm-hmm. terrible jujitsu teacher, and I opened a jujitsu school, right, in Weymouth, and then there's these amazing jujitsu teachers in Weymouth, but I'm the best marketer, the best marketer in Weymouth, and I target everybody and do all the right thing is I'm going to end up with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students, and they don't know I'm a terrible jujitsu teacher because I'm always... They don't know jujitsu. Yes, I'm, I'm still better than they are. And yeah. then people join and they become loyal and they're like, well, he's my jujitsu teacher. And they would, would, would fight my corner to the death Absolutely. over any other jujitsu teacher, even who's better than me. And then the only reason I win is not because I'm better at jujitsu because I'm a better marketer. 
yeah mate that's the thing that that's the thing that kind of killed a lot of the traditional martial arts isn't it like they say karate and stuff like actually back in the day was more of a like an actual sort of hard style where you could learn some real fighting techniques and that got watered down i mean the school that we have just up the road here again i think most of the stuff they teach is really good um and i like their approach but um but they the marketing isn't there to make them a massive school like the facility isn't looking brand new it looks quite traditional and old school and um you know that's just not something that they focused on but the quality is very high um you notice that when you i've competed for that school i used to go there and when we went to national and international competitions we we'd kick the fuck out of people because other people even in the same organization weren't they, they weren't up to that standard like clearly you, you know the facility and all that the facility and everything wouldn't need updating you know what need what, what need promoting and marketing what's that pete basically yes. what we'd have to do is they'd get a personal a personal marketing promotion the, uh, who is the sensei if you were wondering yes. <laughs> anyone listening personal marketing promotion around him and what he does and how good he is and the things he's done and how he's one of the most qualified in the country and how all the shit that he's done and and, and how he's up there he's one of the youngest seventh or eighth or whatever danny is in in, in the whole country and yeah. all that type of stuff and and then they'd market that to 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 the younger thing and and yeah that school could have two three hundred students turning up for every session very 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 easily uh had had the i mean i guess you need a new venue then because it's not big enough but what i'm saying is the, the marketing wouldn't even need to be or the money wouldn't need to be spent on the venue and on the mats and making all them better because if you walk into a room and fucking randy couture's teaching yeah then everybody in the area is like, oh my God, this guy's teacher. So the, the marketing based around the, the, the teacher and he could teach in a fucking school schoolyard and people would still turn up in their hundreds because yeah. the marketing's done around. The one thing that matters is the product and the product you're buying is one day I can be like him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, establish a culture of transparency and continuous innovation to perpetually reinvent the company. In other words, if people have got good ideas, fucking listen and don't think that just because you're the boss, you know everything. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Huge. I think that, that, yeah, that cock blocks a lot of companies. Like this podcast, we didn't think of this. Lauren thought of this, didn't you? Yep. Lauren's had a few good ideas. Now she's left us. Ugh. Don't remind me. I don't want to cry. It's a good job. It's not live. I hope she, oh yeah, when she, if she watches this show, she'll say, we miss yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll go for a quick cry because it's recorded, not live. So we can. Don't uh, say that because then she will cry. You know what it's like. Uh, uh, we've not got much more. Selling and delivering a product is just as important as the product itself, which is what we, we kind of touched yep, on. Yeah, we mentioned ago. that a second ago. And then final thought, which is don't bring an improvement offer to market which is one to N referred to as one to N instead providing new opportunity for your target market, which is zero to one. If you provide a new opportunity, something that improves their health, wealth, relationships, something that improves their life, people will fall over backwards to do business with you. And then we'll also share it. It's like, Oh my God, I was single for so long. And then this happened. And now I've got three girlfriends. People are like, wow, he's got three girlfriends. Let's get over there and do that. Spreads by the word <laughs> of mouth. Um, so, Convert yeah. to Islam. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, man. that one, didn't he? He's like, you know what? Every people are getting bored of me a little bit. I'm not the most searched guy in the world. I'm going to convert to Islam. Yeah, let's quickly convert to Islam. Yeah, it was yeah. recent he did that, wasn't it? Yeah, fairly recent. Fairly, fairly recent. recent. Like, all of a sudden, he's like, now he's... I bet he sleeps bacon. If in doubt, 
convert to Islam. Yeah, like if in doubt, convert to Islam. If, you, if you're if that's that's the other rule that we don't we didn't put in the four major rules. If your business is struggling, <laughs> <laughs> think of the girlfriends you could have. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, final thoughts about the book itself. What what did you think? I mean, you read it super fast. Did did would is it? I assume it's something you'd recommend. Lots of good Definitely. info in there. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely i mean you're listening to a guy who's a billionaire for fuck's sake the shit that he's talking yeah. about is stuff that normal people don't understand even if you've got a boss that's earning hundred hundreds of thousands a month he has no idea what this guy knows this guy and all of his his, his original business partners every single person he settled paypal with went on to and to do billion dollar businesses yeah. meaning those four rules that we talked about which was pri 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 uh, proprietary technology, network effects, economies of scale, and building a brand. Branding, th those four things, if you focus on that, I, I don't think you can fail. No. Yeah, exactly. And these guys are like basically changing the world. So definitely worth uh, listening to some of their wisdom. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I even got stuff from it and I'm not a, you know, I don't have my own business. <laughs> so it was, uh, I learned a lot from it anyway. Um, and some of the stories he tells in it are really fascinating. Some really good examples, especially stuff about companies that you were just like, I didn't know that they that, that was an issue that that company faced. It, but now I now I do. I know why they're not worth as much as they used to be. I know what, how they screwed up because he has a lot of insider knowledge from being in Silicon Valley. Packard, that's so a good example, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah. yeah. In the late 90s, a woman on the board um, started saying, oh, we don't need to worry about innovation and things like that. We just need to worry about the boring shit like, is everyone coming to work on time and yeah rules and, and is it, yeah the culture still happy and do this and it's like what you don't need an innovation and guess what and then then they lost like fucking 40 50 60 percent of their market share yeah um, i don't think it's ever coming back doesn't look that way so no. what did we say fuck the rules keep investing <laughs> yeah invent new stuff awesome all Love right. it. Next week we are doing what we're we doing next week. I forgot the name of the book. I oh, sent I it to the wrong place. Then I sent it to Manchester. Yeah, I think is it the the courage to be disliked. The courage to be disliked. The courage. We've not even got a picture of it, which we should have. To be disliked. Written by. Let me just find his name. It is written by. Oh, you're not going to like it when you see his name. Ichiro. Is that his name, really? <laughs> yeah, it's Japanese guys. The courage to uh, be disliked. Um, I, I, I don't mind being disliked, so I'm, I think I'm probably going to like this book. Yes, um, uh, whereas I'm terrified of being disliked, so I need to read it. Cool. So this is Callum's choice. We'll read the same book this week, so it should be good. I've read two books <laughs> this week now because of this, but yeah. And um, we will awesome. see everybody next week. Thank you very much. Cheers. Yeah, take it easy. Bye.